Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. Happy New Year. This is our first episode of 2022. Uh... That we finally get a do-over on 2020 because this is 2022. So you, you like that dad joke? I'm gonna try that one out of my class tomorrow. I think they might awful. like it more than more than you guys did. Anyways, uh, this is episode 157. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, January 2nd, 2022, at four o'clock p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host Terry Plucknett. Joining me, we have Zach, we have Adam back, and we have the grand return of Todd uh after his uh his insanity of a christmas season uh at work he's able to actually you know have time to watch something and record something again so welcome back todd glad to be here so we need to ask the question todd was was your christmas bonus as much as adam's christmas bonus that's the (laughs) question that's on all listeners minds right now uh no (laughs) what i mean I don't know if how you'd really answer that. Like there was a like a temporary raise that if you added it up, maybe. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, you you work so many flipping hours in the the couple weeks leading up to it, though. So. And I, yeah. I'm salary, so I'm I'm stuck at forty. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. At least I don't have to use PTO for this last week, though. I'm just kind of just given forty hours. So that's nice. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Well, we've got a lot that we're going to do today, uh, a lot we want to report on. We didn't have an episode last week, uh, thanks to Christmas and all of the uh, all of the fun shenanigans Kwanzaa, that came out of that. Hanukkah. Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Boxing Day. Boxing Day. Ah, oh, damn it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the important one, Boxing Day. So we're going to report on all the stuff that we've been watching. Uh, we do have a featured review we're going to look at. Uh, and uh, we're starting to talk about wrapping up 2021 and, uh, and we're going to have a power ranking that's going to, uh, reflect some of that as well. So the important part, Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I had some leftover, uh, stuff from making Irish car bombs on New Year's. So I'm still drinking the leftover Guinness. Very nice. Very nice. How was, how was the beer I gave you for, uh, for Christmas? Oh, that was really good too. Yeah, yeah. Bridgewalker has a new beer called Enter the Matrix. No, Hop in the Matrix. Hop in the Matrix. In the Matrix that was yeah. yeah. Had a really probably, cool can. It did have a really probably, cool can. Probably better than the Matrix Resurrections. Probably. Oh, spoiler probably. alert. Yeah, probably. I was gonna say we might be talking about that at some point. Um, awesome, cool. Zach, what are you drinking? I had way too much alcohol New Year's Eve, so I'm I'm you know hoofing it with uh, some agua i got so drunk on new year's eve that i thought i saw pete davidson and miley cyrus celebrating new year's and she <laughs> took her top off and he's dating kim kardashian i must have been really out of it so i got i'm just glad i'm here very nice a little nice. bit two-day hangover i think so there was a tasting <laughs> two nights ago feels like adam what night. are you drinking I uh, just got some uh, nice El Padrino tequila, spicy cucumber style. Yeah, my boss gave this to nice. my wife at our Christmas party. Didn't give me any liquor, but gave my wife a bottle. So that's, No, that's... you just got a bonus. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh yeah, that's <laughs> true. That How many times are we going to bring that up? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a new running joke. Uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, I know it's, it's uncomfortable. Joke. That's why we're bringing it up. That's why it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't get a chance to make it to Ridgewalker. Otherwise, I'd probably be drinking Hop in the Matrix today. But instead, I got to the grocery store and one of my other favorite breweries, Pelican Brewery, uh, on the yes. coast of of Oregon. This is the uh, the dark hearted blonde. It is a coffee <laughs> blonde stout. Interesting. So, it I I don't know how I feel about it yet. It's kind of different. So I don't know how I feel about you not drinking out of a glass. I well, <laughs> I'm usually drinking true. out of a glass because I have yeah. a growler. That's why I almost poured this into a glass, but I decided not to. But it, yeah. it's it's a stout, but like I can see through it. It's kind of weird. Anyways, that's kind of weird. There you go. There so, you did go. the blizzard that hit the northwest enable you to watch more movies or fewer movies than what you've been watching? More movies. Is it fewer, fewer, fewer movies? Is that what you say? Fewer, fewer movies. Less. Sorry, less, fewer. less movies. Fewer. Fewer audiences. That, 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 that no is one gets a, that. No one gets that. that. No one gets it. That is a that is a <laughs> Dick Cavett, Dick Cavett. Qu- quote from Apollo thirteen. <laughs> um, I oh, watched over my head. It, it's kind of it was kind of weird it was it was kind of both like i did not get to the movie theater at all in the last two weeks um now todd lives two blocks from one so and licorice pizza was not playing there well there's that. <laughs> or at the one that's two miles away yeah which is really frustrating but yeah i i i uh i watched a lot of movies but it was not not ones, not the the theater ones. So, it was really bad up in. It was really bad in Puget Sound. Um, we were up yeah. there and had to try and drive back in the middle of it all. But um, yeah. Well, I had a. I went out and I got like half days, so I got off like pretty early, or didn't even go out on road at all. So I was like, I actually watched ten movies. So that update's going to be nice for you, Terry. Oh, gosh. Wow. Because I got the take this forever. Yeah, Spirit nominees came out too. We got the oh. so there's some. I got knocked off some of those off my list. There you go, that'll do it. All right, well, we're going to talk about what we've been watching after our featured review because it's going to be a uh, a list that is long distinguished. If um, this episode was a Jeopardy category, it would be called Potpourri. potpourri. I, I, I like it. Potent potables. I was going to say potent or potent pot- potables. Potent potpourri. <laughs> yeah. How about that? <laughs> Well, let's get to our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. Uh, there wasn't much that came out uh, in theaters this week. I mean, New Year's Eve as the Friday, it's not going to have a whole lot. But there was a big release that came onto Netflix that is right in the heart of a lot of awards and Oscar conversations. And that is The Lost Daughter, the first movie uh, written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. So uh, we're going to talk about this one. Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. Excuse me. I work at the beach house. Just let me know if you need anything. Great. Get up! 
anyone have kids? Yes, I have two daughters. Hey, your mommy's a girl. You're my big girl. <sighs> She's driving me crazy. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. I saw you at the beach today. I didn't see you. I saw you. The little girl lost her doll. She wouldn't stop crying. Children are a crushing responsibility. Happy birthday. Mama. I'm working. I'm suffocating. going to start with Todd. Todd, tell us all about The Lost Daughter and what you thought. Okay, The Lost Daughter stars Olivia Coleman, and she plays Lita, who is a woman on vacation in Italy, uh, and she meets this young woman and her daughter, and which brings back memories of her early motherhood. Uh, it's just told in flashback with Jesse Buckley playing the younger version, which is a revealing and increasingly sort of tragic story that explains why Lita is the way she is and shows the pain that certain events can have and on the rest of your life and how certain things uh, can come back to you as bad feelings uh, at the most unexpected of times. It is uh, has a, starts with like a tone of like a Hitchcockian movie, giving you the feeling that it's going to be something of a thriller. And I guess the title doesn't help that, but it's more of like a psychological drama. It has more in common with like the father than it does with anything else in 2021. I, I love the score of this movie, too, by uh, Dickin Hinchliffe. Like, it's really sort of unusual, and it sets the tone better than I would have expected to when it first started. If it was like Philip Glass or something, it would have been way overboard. But it, it's like a really good score, and I think it's one of the best of the year. It's it's a more internalized performance by Olivia Coleman too, which is really impressive. If it, if it was like Kate Blanchett or someone like that, it would have been somewhat cold. I mean, she, Blanchett could do that kind of thing in her sleep, but like Coleman brings a humanity to it that... Uh, <laughs> That wouldn't have been there otherwise and it, she lulls you in because like there's a good half hour before anything really appears to happen but it, it's leading to something and and that it just is a really confident directing effort by maggie gyllenhaal like it which is yeah it's impressive that she could have that sort of patience in her first in her first movie and it's also a really brilliant script that she wrote jesse buckley is also amazing and I, I never would have thought of her as a young coleman but she really rocks it and i think that she's good enough to get nominated for this dakota johnson i think is, is awesome too it's all in her eyes and Ed Harris is always good to see. He uh, it reminded me of the hours when he when his character showed up, and it really started. The movie started to remind me of the hours more and more, which is a movie I love from two thousand two. Um, but it's a movie about like dealing with regret. 
trying to escape your thoughts when everything around you is like trying to bring you back to reality. It's it's like something really specific, but it's also really universal in how it's told. And, and it just is uniquely Maggie Gyllenhaal, just the same way that passing felt like a Rebecca Hall movie, like the characters talk like the actor. And these are the types of movies that they're in and like the, the tone of the performances and the willingness to like explore uncomfortable themes. Like it, it just feel, feels like something Maggie Gyllenhaal would have been in. And uh, it, it's, it's, I think it's brilliant. It's it, the eventual scenes that explain what, what, uh, what's hitting underneath uh, the character are just devastating as they unfold. And I think it's a pretty special movie and an easy best picture contender. Three and a half stars. All right. All right. Uh, I'll go next on this one. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what you said and yet disagree with a decent amount of what you said too. Um, I think... It is a brilliantly directed movie. Uh, I agree with what you said about the score. The score really pulls you in. Um, however, I feel like it's a story that really didn't know what it was trying to do. It um, it felt like it was trying to set something up, but it never really got there, I felt like. like you, th this felt like something, like you said, it felt very Hitchcockian where you're waiting for the big finale and then it happens. You're like, wait, that that was it. It 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 it, it, it kind of left you left you just wanting more, a little empty. Um, also, it felt like it was just building tension for tension's sake without really having enough around it to justify the tension. Um, I, so I was I was kind of thrown off by that. Like I'm like, all right, something's gonna happen here. Something's gonna happen. And like nothing, nothing's nothing's happening. Okay, but but it, it's getting intense. Why I don't know, but but it, we're, we're, it's supposed to be intense now. Um, so it, it it felt a little a um, little schizophrenic in how it was trying to play with what the story actually was and how it was trying to portray the story. Um, the performances are brilliant. Um, Olivia Coleman, like you said, uh, Jesse Buckley, I think was a standout. And one thing I will say that the story did really well is the story understood kids. And like the mother-daughter dynamic that it had in in the flashback scenes, and then with the Dakota Johnson character, I thought those were those were great. Um, Ed Harris, I feel like uh, this was the role he was born to play at this age of his life. Like he's just like, as soon as he walked on screen, I'm like, of course that's what he's doing. This is what he's supposed to be doing. But um, anyways, the story just left me a little bit too empty. I'm giving it two and a half stars. I kind of pains me to do it because there's so much good stuff going on here but i i couldn't get into what what it was trying to do and how it was trying to portray it as something different than it actually was let's go to adam next all right i basically i'm agreeing with everybody here uh this <laughs> is, do that no 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 no. i what i see i had a really problem with kind of the frustrations with her, the choices that were made by the character of Olivia Coleman here and Jesse Buckley. I thought the performances are fantastic. I thought are some of my favorite of this year, specifically Jesse Buckley. Um, here, I, I liked her in Wild Rose and some other things that she has been in, which is a uh, she's just a really good, promising young actress um, that needs to be in more stuff. And obviously, this is going to give her like some more opportunity. I feel like she just got nominated for a Spirit Award there for Best Supporting Actress, so it's really cool to see that she's getting some recognition for this. Olivia Coleman is a standout here. I can see her possibly sneaking in because in the Best Actress race because of her previous accolades there. 
I would not be surprised by that. Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think this is like a weird first picture for her, but there's a lot of patience with her directing and her storytelling there. However, the the what I my big thing was is that I was really frustrated by a lot of the choices that the mom was making here, uh, and but it's also like kind of some postpartum like not not postpartum but there's definitely depression in her choices that she was doing where she, she was really overwhelmed by the the children in here uh so i was really like conflicted like i did not like it and however i i appreciate what the uh the, what the movie overall is doing and that's where i'm kind of at three three and a half as well it's that I can appreciate all the good things that the film is doing and the, the journey that it took me on make me conflict, uh, feel conflicted with my feelings and emotions during the film. I think that uh, the movie really paid off for me in that aspect where I was didn't like the choices that were happening and I wanted to get a bit lower. But I have to like, no, nope, I think the movie's doing what it's supposed to do there. So I, uh, I definitely think this is a, a top notch film that definitely uh, deserves some of the praise that it's getting. Just a little interesting that this is her first film, but I can definitely see there's some good potential for her for future projects. And speaking of that, like at the Spirit Awards, there's like category fraud there. She was not, there was nothing for best feature and best screenplay, not best first feature and best first screenplay. It's the first time they've ever screwed that up. Like, true. Even in like the yeah. biggest movies, though, they'll still like put those in the correct categories. Adam, did you say how many stars? Uh, I'm kind of, I, I think I sent it to you three and a half stars. That's where I kind of am at. Okay. I think uh, overall, I've, originally I was like three three stars closer to you, but after I, I sat on it for a few more days, I was like, yeah, I think I have to push up to three and a half because if a movie can get me feeling conflicted and kind of a, an emotional journey and kind of stick with stick with me, I have to kind of appreciate it for what it is and a star rating. So three and a half. Okay. Zach, what, which way so, are you falling on this? So I don't know if I totally understand Adam's criticism of the movie you you didn't like the decision that the mother made so does that mean you didn't you didn't like the character or you didn't like the way that the movie had her doing things i i don't i don't get that oh no, uh, well i don't i i can see as a parent myself is that i know that i wouldn't make decisions like that but i could understand as a parent thinking and doing the things that she was doing it's 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 weird it's it's yeah, one of those things that I could I, it's as a parent I wouldn't be making those decisions but it was hard to relate to it's, is that, it's is that yeah that's saying? yeah that's more like I'm okay. saying it's, it's really hard to relate to the decisions that uh, that character was making but I I understood them if that makes sense okay I I think I understand what you're saying because I, actually that was the strongest part of the movie for me was that you were dealing with a protagonist who does things that don't always make sense that don't always make sense to her and aren't necessarily things that we oftentimes see characters at least likable protagonists do in movies and yet we're not supposed to be completely alienated by this character we're supposed to at least um you know uh, uh have some feeling for her especially given the sort of sinister atmosphere that she finds herself in and going off of what terry's saying it does kind of build into some sort of tension there's a there's some confrontations in the movie there's some really unusual interactions that i love i, I really love unusual awkward social interactions this movie has quite a few of them that i really like especially at the beginning of the movie where like they tell her to move her her chair on the beach and she's like oh, yeah. no <laughs> no no like I'm, like I'm down with this character, and and it's all Olivia Coleman. I mean, I think she's brilliant in this movie. I think she deserves a Best Actress nomination. 
Um, I'm not as big on, on the movie as Todd is. I, I, I didn't love the idea of parallel narratives. I, I sometimes feel like the movie just uh, conveniently go, goes back and forth when it kind of loses interest in, in one or the other. In fact, I think it probably should have been two separate movies because I think as a whole, mm-hmm. that they, they're really nice stories. But together, I just kind of see it like, oh, that's convenient sort of, um, you know, parallel with what's happening in uh, present day. And it's like, I don't know, to, to me, that, that's almost facile. I also really didn't like the Peter Sarsgaard character in this movie. I know he's not a major character, but I felt like that was a completely unnecessary character that I'm sure was in the book and I'm sure has a place in the story and their author's original mindset. But I, I, I feel like that's external motivation for a character who does something that is more internally motivated by. In fact, that's what one thing I really liked about the movie is that a lot of the conflicts in the movie aren't necessarily external. They're much more internalized and we don't really oftentimes see characters that face internal uh, you know, struggles and, and um, you know, antagonisms like that. I thought a lot about Spencer, uh, which is a movie that is very much about external um, you know, problems that the character has, external conflicts. Um, I also thought about swimming pool a little bit, and I sort of agree with Terry that it's tension for tension's sake, but I kind of liked where it built to. Um, I liked Ed Harris in this movie, although I wondered why he wasn't played by Paul Racy. This should have been an uh, Isabel Huppert movie from the early 2010s. My other note is... Would with you the Dakota rather... Johnson character being played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Okay, so I have. I also have something to say about <laughs> Dakota Johnson. For the first 20 minutes of this movie, I thought Dakota Johnson was the Dogmara Dominicic character. I apparently don't know what Dakota Johnson looks like because I lost $20 to my wife and saying, no, that's Dakota Johnson. But then come to think of it, she's probably not a 42 year old pregnant woman. So I'm dumb. Uh, Maybe that loses some credibility for me. And uh, the real question I have left after this movie is, would you rather steal a doll or would you rather steal Nicolas Cage's pig? I don't know. But both of them seem like really great objects. I like this movie three stars, not huge on it, but I think Olivia Coleman is, is pretty special. I mean, I don't think any we necessarily disagree all that much with it. I, I, I guess for me, the how the narrative was playing out really worked for me, and I, I like that it was building to be some sort of thriller, but it really was just more like a really internal psychological drama. And I mm-hmm. like for me that that just, I mean, I, I was affected by that more than I would have if it would have been more traditional movie like a, a Hitchcock movie called The Lost Daughter, which is what it felt like when it was starting. Well, and, and the score even even keeps on building it to be a Hitchcockian thriller. And you're, I don't know, I, I just always kept on waiting for the shoe to drop of, of what what's going on, what's going to happen, and and then the payoff is just. I was like, okay, okay that that's how we're ending. <laughs> I understand what Terry's saying. I really wanted Olivia Coleman to go all Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino on those kids in the movie theater because oh yeah, listen, that'd be awesome. That w- I mean, we need to see that. We need to see Olivia Coleman kick some ass, take some names. We need a nobody with Olivia Coleman, not Bob Odenkirk. That's my that's my new <laughs> resolution for 2022. I had no idea that there were that many people in the theater either. It made it seem like it was just her and that group of guys in the front. I had no idea like the whole side. <laughs> A lot of questions about like, the movie oh, theater. That makes, that makes it uh, even more awkward. <laughs> well, and the Elizabeth Taylor movie that was playing, like, apparently it's something called The Last Time I Saw Paris. Do they show movies like that in Greece? Random <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor movies from the 50s? I want to go there if, if they do, but... <laughs> in outdoor theaters with a bunch of un, unruly youths. Youths. Apparently. apparently. The youths. For more youths than lost. Them. They did lose. That was Not that was a breaker. tough loss. That was a tough loss. 
All right. Well, this is a, this sounds like it's quadruple approved. No, I gave it two and a half. Oh, come on, Terry. I know. Lame. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the buzzkill here. I it the the way the story played out just I it left me so empty in in everything with it. And I I the comparison to Spencer isn't bad, but Spencer knew what it was and didn't try to sell it as being something else. And so I, I think that that's really what what did it for me is just it built itself up to expect one thing and then it ended up just not. So I don't know. I, I I'm leaving it there. We can say it's still thrice approved because yes, there three we go. people still approved it. But, approved. Um, thrice out of four. Anyways, so yeah, Todd and Adam are giving it three and a half. Zach is giving it three. I'm giving it two and a half. It's on Netflix, uh, and uh, you can catch it there. I'm sure you're going to hear more about it. I think Olivia Coleman's pretty set on a, on a nomination, especially with her, her history right now. So yeah, there we go. All right. Let's get to our spotlight segment, which is reporting on what we've been watching over the last two weeks. And I, I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I, like I mentioned, I haven't been to the theater in two weeks, but I stayed home and watched a lot of stuff. Uh, so I've, I've got a decent amount to report on. You guys have some things to report on, too. I think I'm going to start out because I've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Get done. And so, uh, yeah, uh, um, let me first start. I'm going to throw out some uh, some retro reviews that uh, I want to I want to throw out there. So um, I, I finished off my year of Oscar anniversary, 52 weeks, 52 movies that were nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I had two left to go over that I watched over the last two weeks. And uh, the, the first one, let's see if you guys can get these. Uh, the first one was um, from 30 years ago. So 1991, it had a sole best actress nominee. Todd, I already told you what they were. So you can't guess, but uh, Zach and Adam, sole best actress nominee from 1991. The piano. No, that's not. No. That, that's the wrong. That's the wrong. <laughs> that's the wrong. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I. It, so it lost to Jodie Foster, um, and uh, was also in there with uh, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon for Thelma and Louise, and up against Laura Dern for Rambling Rose. No clue. Bette Midler for For the Boys. Ah, wow, nice. Okay, that's um, my second guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second guess. Yeah. Um, this was uh, this was an interesting movie. The first hour was pretty brilliant. It's a story about um, a uh, a USO uh tour in World War no in Vietnam. A a tandem partnership. A comedian played by James Caan and a stage singer played by Bette Midler have kind of this love-hate relationship that goes on. Um, the first hour as they're kind of feeling each other out and getting going is pretty great. Um, it feels like basic early 90s, you know, just nostalgia-type stuff, kind of almost a league of their own vibe to it. Second hour is kind of horrible. Um, what did I end up giving this? I don't even remember. It wasn't great. Maybe two stars, two and a half. Um, so that was that's for the boys. Um, if you want to watch it, I mean, it's a decent performance by Bette Midler. The makeup is horrible because they go back in time. Um, oh, I gave it two and a half. 
Uh, so yeah, that's for the boys. The other one, back 20 years now to a sole Best Actress nominee. So 2001, sole Actress uh, nomination. For my final watch of the of it all. Any anything? Anything, guys? Anything at all? Beginners. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was it was uh, Renee Zellweger for Bridget Jones Diary. Oh, oh yeah, there we go. Good one. Yeah, never seen Bridget Jones Diary before. This one was a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed this one. She's kind of doing something so different than anything else she's done before in this, which was really kind of cool to see. Um, it was also cool to see uh, Hugh Grant play the douchebag instead of the lovable loser. Um, and uh, and Clive Owen playing or not Clive Owen. Um, Colin Firth, good grief. Um, Colin Firth playing uh, a guy named Mr. Darcy when he was also Mr. I mean, he's like the perfect Mr. Darcy. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, three stars. It's a fun movie. If you've never seen it before, it's it's good. I did see that it will be making its uh, TCM debut this month at some point. So, um, Bridget Jones Diary, three stars. So then the other thing I wanted to I wanted to mention really quick in my retro stuff is um i i watched a lot of stuff at home um but i always had the kids around so i watch stuff i can watch with the kids and the best way to do that is to just go to tcm and uh so i go to tcm on demand and i like pick the first movie that pops up just so and just watch it and so it ended up being a lot of uh old school christmas movies so like i watched like the 1938 version of a christmas carol i watched um uh, Holiday Affair with Robert Mitchum. Uh, I watched uh, It Happened on Fifth Avenue, which was another really fun movie. But the best one was called Christmas in Connecticut. Uh, it starred Barbara Stanwyck and um, and Sydney Greenstreet. And it uh, Barbara Stanwyck is like this uh, newspaper writer who is basically like the the 1940s version of like Pioneer Woman. She would write uh, newspaper articles about how she lives on this farm with her with her uh, husband and her kids and makes all and gives these recipes, these amazing meals she makes. But she's actually single and living in a New York high rise and just makes it all up. Her uncle is a chef and gives her all the recipes. So then an an injured uh, war hero uh, mentions while he's in the hospital that he's never experienced like an old fashioned american christmas before so they write the newspaper saying hey this this uh writer should host him on her farm for christmas and so the the newspaper not knowing that it's all a hoax says sure and so then they've got to figure it all out it's a lot of fun it's a three and a half star movie uh and uh yeah christmas in connecticut it's the best of the holiday movies i watched this uh this uh last couple weeks so there you go. There you go. Have any of you seen Christmas in Connecticut? I've not. Nope. I've not experienced a Christmas in Connecticut either. So neither had Barbara Stanwyck until she had to borrow someone's farm. There you go. <laughs> Has it have any of you been to Connecticut? No. No. I know where it's have, on a map. Have you, Zach? Do you uh, I'm trying to remember if I've been to it. I don't think I have. I just remember the line in Rachel getting married where Anne Hathaway's father says, welcome to Connecticut and all of our complex tax laws. So that's the only <laughs> asso there association I have with it. There you go. All right. 
Okay, uh, we're going to go to Zach next. Zach, what is something you watched this uh, in the last couple weeks? All right, well, I, no milestone reviews for me. I'm only seeing new stuff. I got to get my 2021 list intact. We got to do these top tens at some point here. Uh, so I saw Red Rocket, the new film by oh. Sean Baker. I love Sean Baker. Tangerine, I believe, was in my top 25 of the decade, and The Florida Project was in my top 10 of the decade, and I went into this movie with really, really high expectations, and I was not disappointed. I think Sean Baker is a genius. Uh, the film stars uh, Simon Rex, who is a former MTV VJ. I'd never heard of him prior to this movie. I think he's phenomenal in it. And he plays a character named Mikey, who is a sort of failed uh, adult star, shall we say. He's a multiple award-winning AVN uh, porn actor, but uh, somehow he is not having the best sort of run of luck. And he goes back to his hometown in Texas and tries to reconnect uh, with his ex-wife and mother. Actually, I think they're still married uh, and they're not really too happy to see him. Um, and he is trying to basically put the pieces together while simultaneously starting a comeback a little bit. Um, you know, Sean Baker is so great at uh, building these kind of, um, if we want to use a fancy film critic term, milieus, but, you know, like uh, uh, cultural spaces where there are lots of characters, lots of very colorful, interesting personalities that all intermingle. With the Florida Project, it was obviously in Florida. Tangerine, it was in uh, Los Angeles. And this movie is in rural Texas. And he just is so great at finding these really unusual and quirky characters. It's because he doesn't really cast professional actors in his movies. Um, but Simon Rex is amazing in this movie. He has this really like bold persona. Um, and uh, he does some really morally questionable things in this movie for sure. But you just sort of, I, I'm not going to say you love the guy. I'm not even going to say you root for him. It's just sort of fascinating. Watch him sort of work his magic because really no one, by the end of this movie, no one is really able to say no to him. He kind of gets whatever he wants. Um, and he's basically a con artist and uh, he's great at it. Um, as his ex-wife, Brie Elrod, is great, this kind of white trashy role. But the real star of the movie is Susanna Son, who plays this 17-year-old uh, 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 girl who works at the local donut stand, who becomes a fixture in Simon Rex's sort of vision and life. Um, and there's sort of a romantic thing that happens between them. Um, I think this movie is really, really special. Uh, at first, I was kind of appalled because uh, the movie does some really kind of cringy things with that with those two characters' relationship. But the more you think about it, it's it's not a movie that defend that tries to defend Mikey. It just kind of shows the character as he really would be if this was a real person in real life. And I think Simon Rex pulls it off really well. I kind of love this movie. I'm giving it three and a half stars for now. There's a few minor quibbles with it. Um, like with uh, maybe some, some of uh, Sean Baker's other films, it, it's maybe a little indulgent at times. It maybe runs a little long. The Florida Project was also a little bit long too. Sean Baker edits his own movies. But this is, I think, one of the one of the best films of the year. And I implore people to see it. I saw it in a theater. I was literally the only one there. So I was able to take my mask off, which is great. But uh, it's yeah. sad that no one is seeing this movie and probably won't get any Oscar traction. But hey, that's kind of par for the course with Sean Baker. But I think it's really terrific. I'm so excited really, to see that screener now. Yeah, I really want to see that one yes. too. It's playing it's in so some good. of the theaters here. Todd, have you seen that one? I have not. Ah, okay. All right. I've not so spoiled pretty... anything about it. You, 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 it I, I, I have a feeling it will appear on our top ten list somewhere. It, it's, okay. it's a, it's a great movie. It's sort of a must see. Yeah, that's definitely one that I have on my like checked off. That I have to watch this before into before we do our top ten. Okay. And yeah, we're looking at, at uh, revealing those in two weeks, our top 10 of, of 2021. All right, Adam, what's something you watched? All right, so this is one, a movie that I needed to watch, 
some of us loved it on the podcast. Some others, well, I don't know what they were doing on the podcast when we were uh, they were watching it and reviewing it. <clears throat> Let me pull it up here. This is a, a 21, 2021 film, obviously, directed by Michael Sarnowski. Just got a, uh, a film, uh, the screenplay nomination, starring Nicolas Cage. And that is Pig. It's funny uh, enough, we all we also already mentioned this film uh, on the podcast today. And this is a, a, fil- a film where uh, Nicolas Cage is a, tr- a truffle uh, hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness, must learn to to uh, return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved forging pig after she is kidnapped. I really, you know, I, I remember listening to you guys' episode when you guys talked about this. Obviously, it was on the cager as well. And I got to say, I really dug this movie a lot. I don't know what uh, Zach was. Th- I have to go listen to his thoughts again. But I'm giving this three and a half stars. I thoroughly enjoyed Nicolas Cage in this film. I think his subtleness, his subtleties that he pulls off in this was so excellent. I enjoyed the kind of John Wick-esque vibes I got from this. I, I, I got this undercurrent of like chefs, like this, like chef, I don't know, this under underworld of sh- the these chefs too. It, it was really cool. I kind of got some really weird John Wick vibes. I texted Todd that too. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I kind of see that it's, it's really weird, but it, it doesn't pay off like a, as a bunch of action there, but there are some really coolness to it. And I really dug this vibe here. And I thought uh, every, everything, this movie worked for me and easily three and a half stars. And I, I, I can't, uh, I have to say, go watch it. It's on Hulu right now, right now streaming for free. So why aren't you watching pig? It was a good one. It was a good one. You saw it too, Terry? Yeah, we talked. We reviewed it on the podcast. Dude. Oh, I was there I thought, for that one. I forgot. I I thought it was that I was just retorting to Todd's review of it. I thought it was just no, like what no. I watched you were that week. you were uh, you were alone on that one. But is there really an underground Fight Club of chefs in Portland? <laughs> I mean, come on. Do we really buy that? Yeah. yeah. I, I do. I, for this movie, I do. All, also, we should mention Alex Wolf is really amazing in this movie too. You know, he he's not he doesn't get like a like the much praise as he should in this film. I thought he was really good as Amir here. I, I'm not a, a huge Alex Wolf fan, but he was really good in Hereditary. He also was in that movie Old that we I have not watched because I kind of don't want to that Shyamalan film. But you know, obviously, what was that? Who I don't know who it was, but that him and that kind of. Nicholas Cage berating that other chef in Portland. I thought that was probably the best scene in there. That guy was awesome. I can't remember who yeah. what that character's name was. But do you remember Todd? I don't remember what the character's name was, but yeah, that was my favorite scene too. I think that was the best five minute performance of the year. There we go. Perfect. I also really liked what is it? Adam Arkin. Yeah. I think is this, yeah. He's yeah, awesome. Adam Arkin. Darius. In, yeah. In, yeah. In in his short little part, he he was really good. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's Pig. Todd, give us what something you watched. Yeah, what so I haven't been on about? in a while. So it's a few weeks ago that I watched this, but I decided I would have to review The Card Counter, directed by Paul Schrader, uh, where it says Oscar Isaac playing an ex-military interrogator turned gambler. He's like one of the best gamblers, but he only does show so in like short spurts because he wants to avoid detection for actually counting cards and stuff. Uh, but he does, and he does it just really kind of just past time because he doesn't really have anything else to do, and he feels like I think he feels like he would get in trouble or something. But he has like visions of like these like horrible events that happened and his transgressions when he was in, uh, in service in a very uniquely Paul Schrader way. Until like this kid comes to him, played by Ty Sheridan, and he like uh, 
he's like uh, looking for revenge on somebody that uh, that uh, he knew as well. And in a lot of ways, this is like Paul Schrader's sort of best movie. But like the ending is like so batshit crazy. He goes it goes with like like experimental, really wide lens. That's almost like like I don't know, like almost what not what two maybe like three hundred degrees or something. It's really strange, and I, I've never seen anything like it. But it really doesn't work. I don't really know what he was going for. Oscar Isaac is really good. Uh, Ty Sheridan's great. Uh, Tiffany Haddish is just fascinatingly cast. I think it's kind of a disaster, but it's sort of interesting to watch. Willem Dafoe completely over the top it's like a role that of course he's in this because it's a paul schrader movie it's like a really quiet observant movie which is not really what i was expecting i thought it looked terrible by the trailers there's some interesting like world series of poker kind of scenes with this like american flag wearing weirdo and uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was also clearly shot during covid which because there's like hardly anybody in the movie like <laughs> like that those scenes have like maybe 15 people in the room but it's definitely not a gambling movie. It's a really twisted character study. And I actually kind of like it. And I'm giving it three stars. Yeah. Your description of Tiffany Haddish in that movie is exactly what I was expecting it to be. Yeah. And she's <laughs> not that good. <laughs> she's not good. So, Adam, she's you saw this Tiff one. Yeah. She's playing Tiffany Haddish in that movie, essentially. I mean, is there? Is, does she do yeah. another thing? What did you think of it, Adam? I, I agree with a lot of it. I don't know how it worked as much as... I gave it two stars. I... I I'm interested in doing a rewatch on it because I think it could be better with multiple viewings, I think. But I do like the whole buildup, quite uh, character study with Oscar Isaac. He's really great in anything. He may be in one of my top 10 films of the year as well. Uh, but he's awesome. That's pretty much what you're watching this movie for, just seeing his journey there. And some of the poker stuff is really cool too. But yeah, some over-the-top stuff with Willem Dafoe and the finale is kind of, that didn't work for me at all. And Ty Sharon actually was a bright spot, which I wasn't expecting. I didn't even know he was in the movie until he sh appears. So definitely uh, good that he uh, is doing some stuff that is really good. So yeah, uh, card counters, I'm interested in another watch, but right now I'm at two stars for it. I have not seen this movie. I'm curious to see uh, the number of film critics that have put this in their top tens or honorable mentions of 2021. And I don't know. I'm just too traumatized from First Reformed. First Reformed, yeah. That was a movie that also was like sort of the trendy, like, okay, it's not going to get Oscar nominations, but we're going to put in the top 10 of the year because, you know, we love Paul Schrader. And, and everybody uh, loved it. Except for everybody. us. We were the one except podcast. We yeah, we shout out one. to our podcast. Shout out to ourselves. We deserve a pat on the back for that one because we're the only ones that recognize it as, as the travesty <laughs> that it really is. So I'm surprised, but uh, pleased to hear that Paul Schrader is back in, in Todd's good graces, just as he always well, was as a director. When you understand that the movie is basically going to be Taxi Driver once again, like because that's really all he's got at this point. Like when you accept that, you can you can have uh, you can have a I wouldn't say a good time because it's really not a good time watching this movie. You can uh, appreciate the movie. First Reformed quad disapproved. There you go. I almost want to deep dive first reform. Can we do that at some point and just have a no. miserable time doing it? I mean, we we've never we've never done a deep dive of a movie we all hate. That would hate, be kind hate of watch. Dude, watch. Next yeah, time, watch. next time we are all in the same room together, we get drunk, we deep dive uh, first reformed. There we go. I think well, I think I do that. Make me yeah, fall asleep much faster than <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I think we got to do that with a movie we could we could like record an audio commentary to. Yeah, that we got to do that. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. All right. Moving on. I think I'm next. Uh, so uh, a movie I watched that was my favorite thing I watched over the last two weeks that um, is definitely going to be uh, mentioned on my top 10 list. It is uh, a new movie that is on 
Apple TV Plus. It is called Swan Song, uh, written and directed by Benjamin Cleary, starring Mahershala Ali, Naomi Harris, Aquafina, Glenn Close, Adam Beach. I didn't know he was still around, but Adam Beach is in this movie. It's pretty great to Shout see out. him. Um, go, so this is this is a fascinating movie because it's a sci-fi movie, but the sci-fi is not the the part of it that you are focused on. It almost feels like it treats the technology it almost in a way like Ex Machina does, where it really kind of downplays it and makes it really grounded. Um, but it's even less of a part of it than in Ex Machina. So the, the premise of this movie is Mahershala Ali. Uh, he's married to Naomi Harris um, in the in the not-too-distant future, and he finds out he's dying. He has a terminal illness, and he's dying, and he hasn't told anybody yet. And so he decides there is this new technology where they can make a carbon copy clone of you. That is 100% you download all of your memories and everything into this new version of you. And, um, and then what you do is they just replace you. And then you live out the rest of your days um, with your illness and, and die of whatever you have. And your family never has to grieve because you have been replaced um, by a healthy version of you. And so this movie explores, um, does he want to do this? Does he not want to do this? It has a lot of flashbacks to some of the memories, almost in like an eternal sunshine type of way of looking back on his life and, and different moments that he cherishes, that he is like handing over to this new person. Um, Aquafina plays a character who has already done this and he meets, uh, not only he does he meet her, but he meets the new her, and um, and and he he really kind of befriends the the original version as he's deciding whether or not to go through with this or 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 not. Uh, it is a fascinating, beautiful movie that talks about um, grief and and why are we here and uh, how do we take care of the people that we love. Um, and it's it's all set in this really bizarre, weird, random, futuristic world at the same time. Uh, like, I mean, it's got self-driving cars. It's got, you know, pro- computer screen projections that just kind of pop up in front of you, almost like Minority Report, but like, but that's not the focus of the movie. And it's like, you just have to accept the premise of the technology it's giving you. And as, and just because it 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 sets it up like this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the technology. The technology is just a way for us to tell the story about people. And it is beautifully told. It's beautifully crafted. Mahershala Ali gives his best performance. I I think, and like better than his two Oscar wins. Uh, It's a four star movie. Uh, If you haven't watched Swan Song yet, you need to watch this movie. Wow. Yeah. I was crazy about this one. I, I don't know. I give it two and a half stars. I, I if oh, me, it reminded God. me of of Nine Days and, and like how it was told, which is way too slow and drawn yeah, out. And Nine me, Days which, is one of my favorite movies of the year too. I know. And I Dude. when I watched the movie, I was like, yeah, Terry's gonna love this movie when he eventually watches it. But I don't know. I mean, I I, I thought it was fine. I, I and Marshall Lee is really good, but saying he's better than he was in in Moonlight or like True Detective is just kind of batch of crazy theory. Um, but it's true. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right adam and zach you need to watch this movie and well, I, I haven't yeah. seen nine days yet yeah you uh, need whoa. to see nine days winston Duke. and you need to see swan song oh. 
but uh yeah no, th this one this one's something special yeah yeah i know uh, they got nominated I, I for some spirit awards too did it get nominated for some spirit award? No, it's, it's yeah, kind it was of the other. Bummer. There was another swan song. That oh yeah, there's two swan songs. Oh, okay, then never mind. That's why I was like, "What the Wait, hell? What, what, what movie? Songs. There are yeah, two 2021 movies Deadpool named Swan Song." I think we need to watch the other swan song. It's like it's some foreign movie, isn't it? I don't know if it's foreign. I thought it was. Hold on a second. Let me find. It. Oh, there it is. Oh yeah, Todd's. Stevens film. Yeah, okay, there mind. I found it. Yeah, it's it's about an aging hairdresser that's the uh that's the swan that would be role played by jennifer coolidge no udo kier udo kier yeah who is old as shit and probably one of the oldest spirit award nominees ever yeah that's true <laughs> all right moving on zach all right so today while football was ablazing I decided to abandon uh, my Chiefs, who sadly lost, and watch the story of the greatest uh, former Hy-V employee turned Super Bowl winning quarterback of all time. <laughs> yes. and that is Kurt Warner. I did it. I saw American Underdog. Now, a little bit of backstory here. I love Kurt Warner. Okay, uh, he is uh, he is the uh, bud to my bill. He is the only man I ever loved. And I uh, became interested in football in the 1999 season because Kurt Warner had this crazy backstory. And, you know, he was out of nowhere, this team that was just garbage and Dick Vermeil and all washed up. He is the reason I got into football. OK, he's like uh, that uh, wine, the, the 88 Sasakaya. Uh, he's the reason I got into it anyway. This is the story of his life, and it is produced by him and his wife, Brenda. It is very clear that it is produced by him and his wife, Brenda. Uh, and it stars Zachary Levy as Kurt Warner. And I got to say, he looks a lot like Kurt Warner, especially when he's unshaven. The problem is when he opens his eyes really wide, then it's like, oh, Shazam. Shazam is a football player. <laughs> So keep the eyes kind of like not wide open, okay, Zachary? That, that's that's my piece of advice for him. Anna Paquin plays Brenda. I got to say, that is, that's some inspired casting. I never would have thought of uh, Anna Paquin as Brenda. And she's probably about, uh, well, see, here's the funny thing. I always thought Brenda looked about 20 years older than Kurt. So she's probably like the right age. Uh, Zachary Levy is a little too old to play Kurt, but we'll just, we'll, we'll forget about that. Anyway. The movie uh, is basically like 70% um, Kurt and Brenda, 30% Kurt on the St. Louis Rams. So I was kind of disappointed by that. But it does kind of show the backstory about how, you know, he was this guy who, you know, was sort of drifting around in Iowa. He, he was a fifth-year player on uh, Northern Iowa, met Brenda in a, in a saloon and honky-tonk and they got to know each other, and then, you know, he uh, resisted arena football at first, but then got into it, and they were broke, and he got called up by the Rams, and that sort of stuff is good and conventional. Um, it's all right. You know, if you know Kurt's story, you you know that, um, you know, there are things about the movie that, that you, you expect to see, and, and, and that's fine. And I also like the fact that this, even though this movie was directed by, or uh, made by a, a Christian production company, and Kurt is a very vocal, uh, born-again uh, evangelical, this movie doesn't necessarily shove religion down your throat. I appreciate that. I was scared about that. The problem with the movie is that really only the last 30 minutes go into the 1999 
Rams. Maybe I should have just watched the NFL Network special on the 99 Rams. Maybe that's what really what I needed because I felt like watching this movie. I'm like, wait a second. You're not going to talk about, you know, the 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 Ricky Prohl catch and then 99 NFC title game. You're not going to talk about all the records that Kurt broke. You know, you're not going to talk about how Marshall Falk came to the team from the Colts. You're not going to talk about this. Really, they only show two games that the Rams played that season. One of which was the Ravens game on opening day, which is kind of interesting because the Rams played the Ravens today, actually. And uh, there was a great uh, actor who played uh, Ray Lewis. But if we're being honest with ourselves, no one really knew Kurt Warner after that game. It wasn't until like the middle of the season that people were like, okay, this Rams team is actually for real. Who's this Kurt Warner guy? So I don't know why they spend so much time on it. Um, they don't also, uh, they set up the movie to end on the, uh, uh, the, uh, Mike Jones tackle, but it doesn't, it doesn't land. It's like these filmmakers don't really understand, uh, football. They're more interested in Kurt as a person. And then the biggest tragedy of the movie is that it doesn't even go over what was the greatest football moment in at least our lives, Terry, which is the Larry Fitzgerald, uh, uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl because it doesn't really cover that part of his career. That was his like second or third comeback. And I wish the movie had gone into that. So I know Kurt too well. I'm, I'm a super fan. Um, I'm a, uh, you know, like uh, Nicholas Cage in uh, uh, the rock. I'm a Kurt Warner super freak. And um, as a result, this movie gets two and a half stars, even though I love Kurt always will love Kurt. This is not the most definitive biography, but I think it's pretty good. And I actually think Anna Paquin's really good in it. And, and Zachary Levy's fine. When you said the greatest play of our lifetime, I was I was thinking you were going to talk about the the tackle of Kevin Dyson at the goal line. That well, that's yeah, what I meant. That's but, another one I thought. Yeah. Well, okay. I was trying. I was trying. But but we watched that Pittsburgh Super Bowl at your. Apartment, oh, we did. We did. It was when Larry Fitzgerald caught that that pass. I was trying to explain this to my wife on the way home. That was the most electrifying play I think I've ever seen because everyone at your party, which was, by the way, the best Super Bowl party I've ever been to. Still, it was a pretty great one. It was a great yeah. party. We were all rooting for the Cardinals. We were all rooting for the Kurt Warner comeback story. And, and that game should have just ended on that touchdown. We're, we're going to forget what happened after that. But that was a great riveting moment. James Harrison never got in. No. Santonio's, no, no Santonio Holmes' toes never touched the ground. And he should have gotten an excessive celebration penalty on uh, after it. So interestingly enough, the last broadcast of the late great John Madden that Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. I, I heard about wow, that. Wow! Wow! Yeah, crazy. I, I noticed that. R.I.P. Adam, what are you talking All about right. now? All right, let's see here. So I, I had to play some catch up on some movies that because we have that big list coming up. I also I went I also went to Netflix for, to find my next pick, and that is a a film directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda called Tick, Tick, Boom, starring Andrew Garfield. Uh, so a lot of musicals came out this year, West Side Story, you know, uh, and Canto could be in there. I watched that one as well recently and In the Heights. However, I think this is my favorite film this year in that musical genre. Andrew Garfield out there does a really good job, even though he's not a really conventional singer, but I thought he does a really good job with some really catchy songs. A lot of Lin-Manuel Miranda influence you can tell he was definitely uh, uh respect of uh, mr jonathan larson here and uh I, I thought this was really great i think andrew garfield has really revitalized he has he's had a fantastic year from spider-man to uh, tick tick boom here spoiler alert there's there's images out there <laughs> now it's 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 we're past the point of no return on that one uh, but also Alexandra Ship is also like that's the best that she's ever been in a movie too. You know she's coming off Storm from the X Men franchise, and then yeah, but Vanessa Hudgens being a fantastic here too. I actually have you know I if I I know a musical is really good if I want to download the music to it to my phone, and I've been listening to 
this music quite a bit recently. It may not be the most polished or, you know, perfect film at all, but it's the one that has resonated with me quite a bit. And I was intrigued by it. And I think that this is one that I've been really wanting to do a rewatch for it. So Tick, Tick, Boom is getting three and a half stars for me. And I thought it was just a really good time uh, watching Netflix. So there we go. If you want a great watch, there's a there's a video on YouTube of um, Lin-Manuel Miranda from about 15 years ago singing the therapy session song with somebody else. That is go. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a great choice, Adam. I think we're, we're all fans of that movie. Yep. Am that I is right definitely quad, that? approved. That's quad, quad approved. Yep. Yes. Yep. Really good. Dad. All right. I'll go with one that uh, I didn't love, and that is Don't Look Up. Uh, there we go. Oh, yes. I knew this okay, had to be go. talked Here about. Here we go. Here we go. This is about a couple scientists played by Leo and Jennifer Lawrence, and they find out that a meteor is going to crash into the Earth and destroy everything, so they're on a mission to like break the news to everyone, except nobody gives a shit. Uh, there is also the rest of Hollywood in this movie, apparently. Uh, Meryl Streep is like a Trump-like president. Jonah Hill plays her son slash chief staff. Ariana Grande's in this, Timothy Chalamet. It's a really bizarre cast, uh, but maybe the most star-studded cast of all time, I would say. Uh, but and it's incredible how much of a train wreck they can make. And it's about the lowest brand of comedy since the Naked Gun era. I think I texted Zach that, which is why I think you might like it. Uh, it only Jonah Hill is worth watching, and maybe Kate Blanchett, because she just completely disappears into a role, and it took probably a good half an hour before I realized that it was her. Uh, Mark Rylance must have been high on something. I don't know what it was, but it is... <laughs> I mean, it was something crazy. I don't know what he was doing. It, it isn't exactly satire when it's also so blatant and stupid in how it does it. Like, if you don't know that movie is about like, global warming and COVID, then you're about as dumb as the characters in the movie. And they are pretty damn dumb, like every single one of them. And I think Leo is genuinely awful in the movie. I don't think I've ever said that about any of his performances, but I think that it's one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, Adam McKay was at the bottom when he made Vice, and this is another step down. I... I, I'm giving it one star out of respect, but I'm not convinced that it's better than Space Jam 2. I'm really not. Huh. It could be the worst movie of the year, wow. but I'm giving it one star out of respect. All right. Okay. okay. Adam, you, you have thoughts. Okay. Zach, you have not seen this, right? I have seen it. You have seen it? I have. Okay. Well, let's, let's Adam, go to Adam first. Yeah, Adam. All right. I'm... You know, I love me some big disaster films, and I thought that this was... A fun time, even though it's stupid, stupid and ridiculous. But I was laughing quite a bit. Maybe I'm maybe laughing at the movie, and that's why maybe I appreciate it a little bit there. I love Kate Blanchett in this film. I thought, yeah, I definitely agree with Todd on that. That's fine. I did not realize that was her for the longest time. So I thought she was really good. I thought Tyler Perry was her, – her chemistry with Tyler Perry was actually pretty entertaining. Uh, but, yeah, this is definitely really satirical, making fun of that kind of disaster movie uh, kind of – genre i guess and that's why it was kind of right up my alley and i'm at three stars for this one because it's just the entertainment value alone i can i, I totally understand exactly everything todd's saying and yeah i may agree with it it's not like the greatest thing and there's some points there but for entertainment value i had some fun watching it so i'm at three three stars for me <laughs> so Love todd's reaction that, uh, todd that yeah wonderful. i think todd just lost all respect for you adam I think well, Todd's gonna fine. rip his shirt off and quit the podcast. Or we'll have to maybe he'll we'll have to fire him from the team. I don't. Know. All right, Zach, what what did you think of it? So going into this movie, I mean, the only reason I watched it was hearing that Todd hated it, 
and yeah. I wanted to be yeah. contrarian. Um, so that made you watch a two and a half hour movie. Well, I will say I didn't drift off, but I I was distracted at times. Listen, this movie had a very low bar for me. Okay, I thought Vice was horrible. Do you know how many Oscar nominations Vice had? Todd, that, that's a good trivia like question. Eight. Eight. How the hell did that movie get eight nominations? Can that also be like a first reformed movie that we all agree is garbage, but everybody else thinks is great? Actually, I don't I've, think I've not seen it yet. That great. Sarah gave it three and a half stars. It was close to his top ten of the year. Really? God. Yeah. I, okay, I think I will have to rip my shirt off for that. That's ridiculous. This movie is better than Vice. It's better than Todd is saying. Um, it actually had some moments that I thought were kind of interesting. I like the idea of um, Leo as a scientist who is not trained for the media and basically gets seduced by the act of putting on a persona for the media, which I yeah, think we've seen yeah. a lot of during the pandemic. That was an interesting idea. The movie didn't really execute that well, but I haven't seen that in a lot of other movies. A lot of movies that portray you know, disaster scenarios are purely interested in the disaster part, not so much the media spectacle part. And yeah, the points that the movie makes are fairly obvious and redundant. But uh, the Leo, I don't. I agreed with Todd that Leo's performance really isn't that great, but I kind of found that sort of fascinating. Um, obviously, seeing all these actors uh, interact with each other was interesting on some level. Um, I actually kind of dug the Ariana Grande song in this movie. Uh, just oh, look up. I was kind of like singing it after the movie. <laughs> I that should be one of the worst nominated songs <laughs> if it gets nominated. Did you even well, hear the words? How no, dumb? I, no, I didn't. I didn't it hear the so words. so dumb. It, yeah, there's no, a rap song in there too, part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's I actually think she's kind of Big funny. She, she probably wins my best minor character uh, award in the movie because she actually has some legitimately uh, funny stuff. Her retort to Leo when they first meet, I thought was pretty funny. Um, Sorry, on my back. And I do have to say, the mid credits scene at the end was kind of interesting. I, I there were kind two of, of thought, them, weren't they? Well, yeah. The, the the last one was really dumb, but the the, the middle one was sort of intriguing. Um. I don't know what to say about it. I wish the movie had taken it, it seriously. Oh, I guess what I was glad to see was was that Adam Driver or Adam Driver, Adam McKay didn't do his stupid shit that he did in Vice, like stop the movie or had them speak in Shakespearean ionic pentameter or something dumb like that. He actually stays, I think, I'm not gonna say restrained, but he doesn't try to like reinvent the wheel stylistically and and use a whole lot of gimmicks. I think there's just the, the cast is too loaded to, for him to even do that. I agree that Mark, Mark Raylance, I, I don't know what he's on this movie. He's awful. I think he, he's the worst <laughs> yeah. performance, which is saying something because there's a lot of yeah. bad performances i'm giving it two stars which is really generous i didn't turn it off i i didn't look up either and <laughs> i uh watched it through the the end uh credits i i guess it was like a train wreck in a way um that i guarantee i would be more on board with what todd said if i actually had to go to a theater and pay money to see it good point good point it's perfect for Netflix. Perfect. So Terry's going to give it four stars. We have one star, two star, three star, and Terry's going to give it four stars. No, I'm with Zach. I'm at two stars. Um, it It's oh. a movie that the, it had some moments where I could see what it, it like. It did something clever. It had some moments that made me laugh. Um, I, I'd say the worst performance is Jonah Hill. I mean, that oh. that it's just. He's playing I, Jonah Hill. He, yeah, just, he is. He is. Mark, but it, you can't tell me what was Mark Rylance doing. I mean, he was doing what he does in every movie. That's Ready Player One. Doing. That's what he was doing. I, he. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I thought Mark Rylance was kind of, actually kind of fun. Um, but the the biggest thing, like, all right, so Adam McKay in this like new renaissance of his, which is like Big Short, Vice, and this. 
Big Short and Vice, I really liked both of those movies, but they ultimately are forgettable. I will say this is probably the most memorable of those three, um, but I think it's also the closest to his SNL days of anything that he's done in this new renaissance of his. Because it feels like a two and a half hour SNL sketch is really what it feels like. Um, yeah, how many times can we hear the same joke about her getting charged for snacks or whatever? Like, okay, that was actually my favorite part, though. I I, I thought that was really <laughs> that was like that was really funny. Um, but um, the biggest thing I had, I, I biggest issue I had with this was watching it. You can tell Adam McKay as he was making this movie and writing this movie, he's like, I'm going to make this generation's Dr. Strangelove. And he was trying so hard to make Dr. Strangelove that it just came off as uh, you could tell he was trying like no one, no one, when they made a movie like Dr. Strangelove, a classic like that goes, Oh, we're, let's make a classic of our time. He's trying to make a classic. He's trying to make Dr. Strangelove. And you can tell, like that mid-credit scene, that's the equivalent of of someone sitting on a bomb, right? I mean, th- th- it's it's just ridiculous. And and that was the biggest issue I had with it is he's trying so hard to do something, and he's bludgeoning you over the head with what he's trying to say. And, and it, it just it just turned me off to it so quickly. But at the same time, it had some funny parts. I didn't think it was a complete disaster like Todd did. So two stars. Well, good. I'm glad that I liked it more than you guys because it it's not a good movie, but I I found myself enjoying it. Maybe that's just me just liking that genre. It's stupid. stupid I, I don't understand how it's getting on top ten lists. That's oh, what I know I that's ridiculous. People don't watch screeners. They don't they don't watch this stuff. It's in name only. All right. Uh, let's see here. I'm next. Uh, I've got I've got one more. I wanna I wanna throw out there. First off, I, just really quick, a couple uh, a couple other things I watched that weren't necessarily movies. Uh, I binge watched the the Hawkeye show over over the last two weeks. It's a lot of fun. It's it's not as as like intense as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's like a a, a little lighter than that. Haley Steinfeld's a great addition to the MCU. It's a whole lot of fun. It takes place at Christmas in New York, which was a whole another like character of the whole thing. It's good times. Uh, yesterday, uh, my wife and I watched the 20th anniversary special of Harry Potter. Um, it was good, not great. Uh, it's great to see all the character, all the actors back together and talking. Um, but it was way too produced. Like the Friends reunion was awesome because so much of it was just them sitting around talking to each other and BSing. This it tried to control the narrative of what they were going to do with the anniversary too much. But at the same time, it's still a Harry Potter reunion anniversary, so it was cool. All right. The movie I want to talk about is being the Ricardos, uh, because this is one of my like I, I was really, really looking forward to this movie. Um, and so I want to mention it written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem playing Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz um, talking about. Um, and, oh, and then you had J.K. Simmons also and Nina Arianda as the other two stars of I Love Lucy, uh, mainly looking at when um, Lucille Ball was almost blacklisted. Um, I'm giving this, what did I give this? Two and a half, two and a half stars. It's really close. It's right on the border here. Um, I feel like I probably would have liked the movie more if I hadn't just listened to the plot thickens season on Lucille ball 
uh, the TCM podcast because I think they do such a better job telling the story. For the first time, I felt Aaron Sorkin's script felt scripted, um, where his dialogue, he's got such fast-paced dialogue that's always so much fun to listen to. In this, it felt scripted and rehearsed. And it was like the first time I, I felt like his his dialogue was a barrier in telling the story. Um, Nicole Kidman is is actually really good in this, uh, better than I expected. And Javier Bardem, although not looking at all like Desi Arnaz, is, is actually really good at, at, at capturing like the spirit of that, that uh, person. Uh, Todd and I were talking about this at one point, and I totally agree with him that Nicole Kidman, the, the makeup is distracting. And, and Todd described it as he said it was very similar to Clive Owen in, as Bill Clinton in that she doesn't look like Nicole Kidman. She doesn't look like Lucille Ball, but she kind of looks more like Lucille Ball than she does Nicole Kidman. It just every time I looked at her face, it was it was just distracting. And it took you it takes you out of out of the whole thing. Um, the fact that J.K. Simmons is getting best supporting actor buzz for this is kind of ridiculous because I didn't yeah, see that at all. Um yeah, I it it was it, it told the story, it told the story well, but there's just something not right about it and there's something off about it and I can't really put my finger on it, but I just couldn't get into it the way I was wanting to. So two and a half stars. Yep. Yeah, I think I liked it less than you. I think I gave it two stars. Like I like I think I said it was it's basically Judy written by Aaron Sorkin. But the problem is it's also directed I love by Aaron Judy, Sorkin. Though. I love Judy. Yeah, well, the problem is it's directed by Aaron Sorkin, and he doesn't really have. I, I didn't like uh, Trial of Chicago, Chicago Seven either. Like Which Molly's I game loved. is Molly's <laughs> game is different, but like this, it's like this is his most ambitious movie, and you could tell that it's just somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing yet. Because if this was directed by Fincher or something, it would have been on like Mink or better, you know. But it's not. I, I it's almost like the entire he, he tried to write it as a '60s sitcom. Like the whole movie, yeah. almost, and that's yeah, yeah. I think I was a little more. I was. I gave it three, but I'm kind of more closer to Terry's. Obviously, two and a half. I just looked at the other movies that were. I gave three stars. I'm like, well, I actually enjoyed this one a little bit better, so I gave it the respectfully just upped, upped it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's. I thought Sorkin's script wasn't the strongest compared to everything he's written before. Not nearly, but I thought his direction wise, other than Molly's Game being one of his better directed films. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I, now that you said that thing about Nicole Kidman's makeup, I kind of, I was like, I, now I can't picture it. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that, Todd. That's uh, now it's going to be distracting looking at photos <laughs> now of that film. Yeah. But yeah, it's probably a two star, two and a half star movie for me, but I, I gave it the respectful of uh, three stars for that one. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of right with everything you said, Terry. That's pretty spot on review there. Zach, have you seen this one yet? I've not seen it yet, but I did kind of think like watching the, the first trailer for it and the lack of Nicole Kidman in the trailer made me think, oh, well, maybe she doesn't actually look like Lucille Ball. Uh, she does a great job like embodying the spirit of it. And I honestly think the movie would have been better if they didn't try to make up her into it. Like yeah. they did nothing to try and make Javier Bardem look like Desi Arnaz. The, it it yeah. just, they just kind of let him, It it's almost like, like Tom Hanks in Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, he looks nothing yeah. like Mister Rogers, and they didn't even try. Or, or and, actually, but he, a, he, cap, he captures the spirit of it. A good example would also be uh, Anthony Hopkins as Richard Nixon, who doesn't look anything like Richard Nixon, but I think really pulls off that character really well in that movie. And Nicole Kidman captures the spirit of Lucille Ball really well, especially that was one thing, especially after listening 
to the plot thickens. They use a lot of interviews and stuff like that. She she gets the character that she's playing, but the makeup just takes you out of the moment in a way that's super distracting, and the and the script is distracting as well. Would Kate so, Blanchett be a better Lucille Ball? Well, because that's the, the whole buzz that's going around is Kate Blanchett was originally supposed to play it when this movie was supposed to be made five years ago. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it would have been better or worse. It, I think it probably would have been around the same because it would have been the same script. Or Jessica Chastain. But she was in the 355. Right. Coming out next week. That kept, well, the one yeah, movie the, that's the actually coming out next us. week. Finally, so we don't have to watch the trailer in the theaters anymore. Thank goodness. Yeah. All right. Does anybody else have anything else they want to mention? Uh, has anyone seen The Matrix? Adam did. Okay. I reviewed, I, I reviewed it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll oh, you say, reviewed it on the other podcast. That's, that's right. right. I'll, I watched the first 45 minutes of it, and it was a, dis- a great distraction from having to talk to the in-laws. So I give it thumbs up just for that. But I didn't, I didn't watch the <laughs> There we go. Yes. <laughs> It's, it's it's just disappointing. It's another two and a half. I gave I gave that one respectfully two and a half based off the other films the franchise rating. But yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's a film. <laughs> I wanted to watch it, uh, but I wanted to watch the other three again because I remember nothing, especially about Reloaded and Revolution. So uh, I wanted to watch those again before I watched Watch Resurrections. Yeah. And I did want to say, I've seen Licorice Pizza. I'm not going to say anything about it here. I, I decided b- before the show, I said, I want to wait until everybody's seen it, or at least a few more people have seen it, because I have a lot of thoughts about it. But I, I I went in the movie blind. I wanted to go into it blind without knowing anything about it, and I'm glad I did. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we'll all see it at some point. Has anybody well, seen Mass? That's another film I was wondering. Todd here. saw Mass. Yeah. All right. Um, but, yeah, wait, did you one. watch it? Yeah. I watched it last night. Yeah. So, yeah. Is it thumbs up or thumbs down? That's all I need to know from you. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. Oh, Adam wants to know what to give sure. it. So tell him. No, no, I already gave it. I already, sent you, I already <laughs> sent you my rating. I already sent you my no, rating I, on it. So I'm not I, love, I mean, you know, that's exactly, uh, that's straight up my alley. That kind of movie. Oh, that's, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. All right, it's it's, well, it's th- great. That's what I will say. It's great. I, I think I think we're I think we're done then. I, I think we're good. We're we're done with our what we've been watching. That w- that was good. That was good. All right, let's move on to power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings, not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Power rankings for this week. We are, well, Zach, you won last time and you picked this category because you are you, you, you were the one that was allowed to pick the category because we tied. That's right. That in picking Todd's list, Zach and Adam tied. Um, and um, so you picked this category. What are we doing here? Well, we like making lists on this podcast and, uh, and, you know, we're not quite ready to unveil our top 10 of 2021. There's too many movies that are still out there, but why not reveal the top first time watches of 2021? Some of which maybe we've revealed in episodes of this podcast, maybe others we don't know that we've seen, which is why we're not going to predict Adam's list because who knows, but, uh, you know, best first time watches. That's a, that's a fun thing to do, right? I've seen people do that online. Yeah, a lot of people I've, I've noticed have been doing that. So I really like this category. It'll be fun. 
Okay, let's go through this. Let's do. Um, let's go five to one here, and we are going to start with. Let's start with Adam, since Zach got to pick the list. Adam, as the other champion of last time, you get to open us. Perfect. All right. So uh, my number five, I, I you know I had some films in my top one hundred that I just watched this year that I put in there, but I wanted to talk about some other films as well. But so number five, I'm gonna kick off this list with a 2010 film directed by Gareth Edwards called Monsters. This is a film that takes place shortly, like six years after an alien invasion on Earth. So it's about this uh, kind of a person that has to escort this up uh, this girl across the Mexican border to get her into the safe zone. Very intriguing concept here. Visuals. It's really grounded in reality. I thought Gary Edwards is a fantastic job directing this film. Actually, I think it's my, my number 10 film of 2010. Now I thoroughly enjoyed this, uh, this film here and it's really grounded in reality effects here that I can definitely see happening. And it was just a really cool, interesting watch that I thoroughly enjoyed. So number five is monsters directed by Gareth Edwards. Our introduction to Scoot. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I saw that movie when it came out. Really enjoyed it. I remember thinking, okay, Gareth Edwards, I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of money with the movie or maybe a whole lot of resources, but he, he used them, the ones that he had really well. And yeah, he uh, he's, he's a name to look out for. And what else has he done this deck? He's done a couple other things, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's done Godzilla, which is, and, Rogue, and then Rogue, 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 the, Rogue One. Yeah. yeah. That's a good Adam pick. So, yeah, that's what I figured. Let's talk about that one. I like it. I like it. Haven't seen it. Todd, number five. Uh, so, my number five was shot in 2018, but it wasn't released until 2020. It's called The Lie, which is uh, directed by Vina Sood, who I love. It stars Peter Sarsgaard as a father who, like, stops to help his daughter's friend on the side of the road. and But that act of kindness turns into, like, a kind of a nightmare for everyone involved when they start lying and, like, deceiving everybody and venus suit is the creator of the killing which is one of my favorite tv shows and she never gets credit for it and she also directed and wrote the tv show seven seconds which won regina king an uh, emmy even though it was canceled after the one season she is a great under appreciated uh filmmaker and this is like pretty much her only movie of any note and uh i i thought it was really really good and uh i hope that she has a chance to make more movies very nice. Did not see it. Did not see it. Yeah, I think it's definitely been advertised to me on Amazon Prime. I don't know. I'm at a yeah. stage where I'm just ready to uh, not like anything Peter Sarsgaard is, is in. Because I was, you know, watching Lost Daughter, like, I can't remember the last time I liked a character that Peter Sarsgaard played. An education, maybe? No, he's a scumbag in that movie, too. Well, it doesn't mean he's not good. <laughs> I was thinking more like Garden State, maybe? It'd be the last oh, time you played someone semi-likable. I don't know. All right, this All is right. Pick Todd. I'll, try, I'll I'll try to check it out. All right, I'm gonna go next. Uh, first, before before I go, uh, some stats here. Um, in 2021, I watched. I, I did this calculation yesterday, and I was I was really upset that I couldn't do anything about it because in 2021, I watched 199 movies. I couldn't get into 200. I couldn't get in a 200th. No, I, 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 199. So you're like Leo in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. I made $49 million. <laughs> I really ticked off because I couldn't make a million a week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, 66 of them were 2021 movies. Um, so that left 133 first time watches. Um, I disqualified any 2020 movies because most of them were like, 
um, like wanting to or catching up on last year's award season, like in January, February, March of last year. Yeah, I did so the same. I, I didn't include the father. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, include the, the father, father yeah, or father like Minari that. or any of those things. I watched watched at that point. Um, so there were 24 movies from 2020 I didn't include. Um, now the other thing I have in here that a lot of these first time watches are my Oscar anniversary watches. So like I watched 18 2011 movies from that were Oscar nominated. 20 2001 movies and 10 1991 movies that were all a part of this too. Um, some of those, most of my list is actually those, but number five is not one of them. It is the one I mentioned on the podcast before. It's a TCM watch random one. I caught up on it's from 1958. It's called I married a woman. Uh, it is this super fun kooky rom-com about an ad exec that is, um, trying to figure out he's like working with this conflict between his his job and trying to advertise uh, a beer and what his wife is wanting and and his wife is played by diana doors the main guy is played by george gobel who like did nothing else um but it it was i don't know why but i just loved it and it was so much fun and um and yeah i'm not going to complain also about getting to watch Diana doors on screen for an hour and a half because she was just drop dead gorgeous at that time too. So um, it's like impossible to find. It's only got 415 ratings on IMDb. Um, but uh, I married a woman. It's, it's a great movie. So that's my number five. I remember you reviewing right. it. Yep. Zach, number five. Okay. Number five for me comes from 1988 it was a Criterion watch, which is going to be a theme on my list, for better or for worse. Um, this is a movie I did bring up on the podcast when I saw it. Uh, it is a film by George Sluizer, and it is called The Vanishing. And it I remember is you struggling a... with that name just as much when you reviewed it. Ah, nice. Okay, well, some things haven't changed. Um, it's the story of a young couple who I believe are on vacation in, I think I want to say, Belgium. And uh, the uh, wife or girlfriend, I, I believe, is kidnapped. And uh, no one really understands why. Uh, the boyfriend sort of struggles to put the pieces together. And eventually we find out who the culprit is. And eventually it sort of becomes a cat and mouse game between um, this kidnapper and uh, the, the boyfriend character. And it kind of actually spans over multiple years and multiple countries, too. Really fascinating movie. Um, Hitchcockian would be a good way to describe it. It reminded me a little bit of Insomnia, uh, the Al Pacino film that I really enjoy. Um, and uh, it was remade with Jeff Bridges. I haven't seen the remake, but um, if you want like a, you know, everybody talks now about slow burns. And this is a, a really great example of a slow burn. Um, and uh, it kind of surprises you at parts. It takes you in directions that you don't necessarily expect. A lot of people call it like a thriller. It's not really a scary movie or horror film in any way, except for just the notion of someone being a psych psychopathic killer, which is always fun to watch in movies. Um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, it, it, it stuck with me after I saw it. All right. Nice. Would nice. recommend. Cool. Adam, number four. Uh, number four. I have, geez. Uh, the 1928 film or 29 film, sorry, The Passion of Joan of Arc. So I, have, I saw this at Half Price Books. I was like, oh, that's one I need to watch. I, but I know it was streaming on HBO Max. So I watched it. Uh, it's directed by Carl Theodore, uh, Theodore Dreyer. Dreyer. It's a great silent age film. And it's one of the ones that you talk about as some of the best acted 
best performance of all time. And I definitely have to say that uh, Maria Falconetti uh, did a fantastic job as Joan of Arc here. It is uh, an engaging film. I, I watched this because of the top 100 movies of all time list that we did. I was gearing up for that and I wanted to watch this because I heard some great things about it. And I, I got to say it didn't quite make that list, but it's definitely worthy of a, a watch here, especially if you wanted to watch some older films, definitely check out HBO Max for The Passion of Joan of Arc. It is uh, just a great uh, filmmaking there, and it's very subtle. Like the, the, the sets are not as extravagant, but there are some really cool uh, storytelling and acting performances here that you definitely should watch. Cool. I have not seen not that quite a, Not quite an Adam pick, normally. I've seen the, the Mila Jovovich uh, Joan of Arc movie, but not the... What's your father-in-law's favorite movie? It is. It is. So he is, should watch it. it. Let's have him watch it and he can report on what he thinks of the passion of Joan of Arc. There we go. There we go. All right, Todd. Uh, so a lot of the movies that I realized that I watched this year are like movies I was assigned by you guys because I don't really organize my thoughts by like when, when I watched the movies. I was just pretty much looking back through emails I sent Terry. So one is one is I is one that Terry actually assigned me and that is Body Heat. Which ah, is yes. An, amazing 1980s movie uh directed by Lawrence Kazan it's a new age noir it's super like sweaty and sexy mystery and super sweaty yeah it is a very sweaty movie uh William Hurd <laughs> Kathleen Turner and of course my boy Mickey Rourke the man or the man who says Eric Roberts is the man but he's the man too but it's like this woman perform uh, persuades her lover to kill her husband and it just comes with like this really twisted mystery it's it's yeah to a total Todd movie and uh it lived up to the hype that i had put on it already and uh even though mickey works not in it very much he's awesome too but yeah body heat just off my my list of first time watches but it was it was really good yeah i i love that movie too um all right uh i'm next for number four so really quick one other little stat for you here so after i disqualified you know 2021 and 2020 i had seven no eight eight four-star movies that were first-time watches that weren't 2020 or 2021 movies so um that's what my list is consisted of body heat was a three and a half like really really high three and a half almost four-star movie so number four i have a tie i know we don't like to do ties but i think this one is justified because uh, these are two um, two movies that were part of my Oscar anniversary watch, and they actually both were winners of Best Documentary. Uh, so it, from 2001 and from uh, 2011, the 2001 winner was Murder on a Sunday Morning. The 2011 winner was Undefeated. Um, so those um, I had tied at number four. Both movies are just absolutely incredible for very, very different reasons. If you're a fan of the true crime stuff and um, watching you know, justice uh, eventually working itself out after someone was unjustly accused of something. Watch Murder on a Sunday Morning. Uh, if you're a fan of of sports and watching, you know, the underdog work their way uh, work their way up. These rags to riches stories. Undefeated is a great movie. I, I said when I reviewed it, it's like the hoop dreams of football, and that's I think that really holds up. Anyways, both movies are incredible, and I felt like you know two best documentary winners. I think it justified a tie for points. So uh, that's what I'm doing. So undefeated and murder on a Sunday morning. Good selections. You can't blame me for that, right? That's a decent tie. 
Agreed. I, I, I'll allow it. I'll allow it, yeah. Yeah. All right. Zach, number three. Or no, number four. All right. Number four is also a movie I've mentioned um, on this podcast. Uh, it is from the great uh, Finnish director, Aki Kurismaki. And it is a film called The Match Factory Girl. One of the uh, worst things about movies in 2021 is just how excessively long they are. It feels like every movie, even on this podcast that we just talked about, is needlessly two hours and 20 minutes. Like Adam McKay, seriously. <laughs> but uh, not pointing fingers at anybody. Um, the Match Factory Girl is 69 minutes long. And uh, it's wonderful. The, the length is absolutely perfect. It feels like the lost episode of the Decalogue. It feels like a Kieslowski film. In fact, I did watch a Kieslowski movie this year that I thought I was going to like. And I like this a lot more. Um, and uh, it is about a young woman. Um, her name is Iris. And she is basically um, a persona non grata, as Miles would say, in her uh, community. Everybody kind of hates her. Uh, she's not popular at the dances or anything. Her parents mistreat her. Um, she works at this really dull job at the match factory in her village. Um, and then there's this guy who kind of seems like he's interested in her, but, you know, he's a jerk. He probably should have been played by Peter Sarsgaard. Um, and eventually uh, she realizes, oh, you know what? Um, I uh, am going to change things a little bit. I think I'm going to, something happens in the movie that gives her a, um, a bit more power, a little bit more agency than she's used to. And she uses it to twist uh, the people around her. And it's basically the first half of this movie is how she gets mistreated and, and um, emotionally and, and uh, psychologically abused. And the second half of the movie is her revenge on everybody. And uh, it, it's really sweet revenge. It's an awesome movie. It's a really quiet, droll movie, like a lot of Kurzmaki movies, but it's a fun time. And I just love when uh, people get their comeuppances against, uh, you know, other old people who are just assholes. And uh, it's, it's great to watch. Oh, fun times. And you can't complain about 69 minutes. I mean, come on. It's beautiful. Can't complain about I, 69. It's a great number. <laughs> well played. Well played. All right. Adam, number three. Uh, number three is a film that we had mentioned a couple times on the podcast. Never actually did a review for it. I Well, Todd and I did a zombies ranking, and we had deep dove at Dawn of the Dead directed by Zack Snyder. And I mentioned I never saw George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So that's what my number three film is. It's going to be 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Now, this film is actually a really uh, great film here. I, I think Night of the Living Dead is my favorite Romero or zombie movie in general, but this will be a close second. I think that what Romero was able to do here in the, the mall atmosphere was fairly fascinating. It, it, if you've seen the sack signer, it's, it plays out similar, but there's some differences here. But I think this one with the uh, the atmosphere and the tone and the, the visual effects, the makeup in here, it's it's everything works here. It's uh, Romero doing um, Romero things. I also watched for the first time Day of the Dead. Uh, both great zombie films here, but Dawn of the Dead is going to be my number three pick. It's one of my favorite films that I watched that was the first time watched. So check out Dawn of the Dead on uh, from George Romero. Can't go wrong with it. Very nice. Awesome. Good classic. Good classic. Yep. Great choice. Todd, number three. Uh, okay, my number three is, I don't even know if it's really a movie, but whatever. It's CKY2K from the year 2000, <laughs> directed by Bam Margera, who introduced himself to the world with this. Uh, he became famous for spearheading jackass, pretty much. And this is what started that phenomenon, named after the band CKY, who are friends with the people. Uh, but 
Uh, instead of like skits and like things that made Jackass super popular with the show and the and the movies, this is like the most genuine that it would have been. Like a, like the the show had these moments, but not as much as as this does. Like it's straight up like pranking each other, like hurting each other, being just like gross and rambunctious and dangerous. It's um, it gets skate culture more than pretty much any other movie, I think, and. Um, and everything that Jackass does makes sense because this is the thing that started it before they met Knoxville and Steve-O and, and them. Like, Bam is actually the brains of the operation, which I never knew. And this this is something else. I don't know if it's a movie. I don't know if it's a documentary. It is a series of things, and it is kind of awesome. And I, some of them I'm not, I'll never get out of my head. It, it, I mean, it's as good as anything Jackass ever did afterwards. And I'm going to see Steve-O live in concert or in, in in comedy or whatever on Friday. So I had to mention of that too. Wow. Nice. Wait nice. To That's right. Bury the I lead there. Before Can you review Jack his concert? <laughs> I, I mean, I will. I, I guess. I mean, I'll, I'll report back next weekend. There we go. There we go. All right. Number three on my list is probably the biggest surprise I had of the entire year. It was one of my um, my Oscar watches. It was just this random little film that was nominated for best foreign film 20 years ago out of Norway called Elling. Uh, and I, I, I reviewed it on the podcast. I love this movie. I mean, it the concept is basically like if Bobby Boucher had actually been like sheltered by his mom till he was 40 and then she died and what would happen to him. And that's kind of what this movie ends up being. It's the, it's this guy who has been sheltered his entire life. He ends up in a mental ward for a while and then slowly being re um, reintroduced to, uh, to actual real life. And he's got a friend from the mental ward that's with him. It, just looking at the movie poster, I mean, it's basically kind of like if like Toby Jones and Jeff Daniels made a movie about being crazy and trying to interact with the world around him, around them. Uh, that's kind of what this is about. It's a quirky comedy, but it's got a lot of heart to it at the same time. Uh, it's worth looking for and seeking out and finding. So number three is Elling. Right on. I remember the review. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. All right, Zach, number three. Well, my number three movie could also be described as a quirky comedy that has a lot of heart to it. Now, my number three movie is not necessarily a movie that I think is the third best. It's not necessarily better than the last two. I'm more placing it here because I want it to be a nice sort of like halftime report of my list, which is very yes. much filled with Criterion movies and highbrow bullshit. But listen, if we're talking about uh, a movie that was purely enjoyable from start to finish, and let's change things up a little bit, a movie that was recommended to me and I never would have checked out. I'm going to thank Todd for this pick. My number three film is the quirky comedy with a heart of gold that is Snake Eyes. Listen, Snake Eyes was a great pick <laughs> yeah. by Todd. I cannot think of a movie that was maybe more enjoyable to watch. Um, in terms of the Nicolas Cage, I can't, I can't remember exactly where Todd has it, but it's notably high, if I remember correctly, in, in the cager. And it is just so fun from start to finish. Brian De Palma, you know what? I mean, the way that you guys were kind of talking, uh, the way that you were talking about Adam McKay swinging for the fences with Don't Look Up is, is what at, uh, Brian De Palma did in Snake Eyes. Uh, there's just iconic 
your costumes and interactions and tracking shots and Nicolas Cage spasms. And <coughs> it, it's just, full. And, and then and there's a huge rainstorm at the end of the movie and, and a flood. Um, it's just, it's, it's bonkers. It's all over the place. It's, it's fantastic. And, uh, I can't really remember anything about the plot. I just remember like the, the moments of it and being like with it emotionally. And it was a great find this year. So, uh, hats off to you, Todd, on, on a great suggestion, not quite deadfall level, but it's, it's, it's in the same area. The same well, it depends on which deadfall you're mentioning. Of course. <laughs> I need to see snake eyes and not seen it yet. What? Yeah, that's good. I'm gonna check that off the list this year. You you realize he's not talking about like the GI Joe Snake Eyes, right? Oh, this is like... I yeah, I know which one he's yeah. talking about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Good. Good. All right, Adam, number two. All right, I think I'm gonna put an audible at the last second here. Uh, I looked at my list here. And... Wouldn't be a power rankings if we didn't. Yeah, I know. That's uh, I, I had a lot of first time watches. I didn't make my top 100 list, and I want to. I want to speak about a film I haven't talked about yet. So number two is actually going to be a Stanley Kubrick film that I haven't watched before until this year. It's from 1964, Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. All right, so this is uh, a film I, you know, I've seen that guy writing the bomb down. I didn't really know too much about it, and I knew it was kind of a. a, a a film with uh, Peter Sellers and John C. Scott and among other actors here. And it's Cooper George. too. And I'm his a, name is George. What George did I say? Oh, I, said what I, I don't know. John C. Scott. Well, George, George anyway, but regardless, I, I didn't really know what you've known him as long as I have. That's the name That's George. George. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll shut up. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm a fan of Kubrick's work here. Uh, obviously, I like some other films a lot more than others, but uh, Dr. Strangelove was an interesting time. I don't think I appreciate it as much as other people do. I think I have at three and a half stars, but I've only seen it the one time, and so I'm definitely looking forward to re-watching this one. I'll probably pick up the Criterion sometime this year as well. But uh, Peter Sellers is uh, awesome in here, and uh, this is definitely a, a kind of a, a comedy here that i definitely need to uh have more uh experiences watching so i can definitely see if i can appreciate it a lot more but it's definitely a really interesting watch i know that you guys really speak highly of it too so i had to want to at least mention it and say that it's a damn good film that i definitely need to watch a little bit more so appreciate it more very nice uh, but very nice. yeah i find that with kubrick movies you kind of have to have multiple watches to appreciate them more i can understand that yeah yeah dad number two uh, so my number two comes from Australia from 2012. It is the Snowtown Murders, which I just watched like a month ago. And it was definitely the most disturbing movie that I watched last year. It's about this like dim-witted teenager who ends up becoming part of a violent crew of criminals, kind of. And it's a true story. There's a little animal kingdom in there, a little bully, and a lot of just images and things that i will never get out of my head and one of the reasons i'm sure nitro will be one of the best movies of the next year when, when it ever comes out i know everyone loved it it can but like this is a movie that similar to like henry porter of serial portrait of a serial killer i i don't know if what i was watching what i was supposed to be watching because it, it, it is some vile shit that goes on in this movie and i it is disturbing and bizarre and really low budget <laughs> and shot in a way that is so invasive that it's just it's it's kind of terrifying and it's a it's a masterpiece it's directed by justin kurtzell who ended up directing like the the one Macbeth movie with uh uh michael fassbender and he directed <laughs> assassin's creed and some other stuff but so he hasn't had a, that grave of tracker record since then 
but uh the snowtown murders is something else and uh it's it's terrifying that's actually a true story very nice very nice i know zach had mentioned it have you seen it yeah i've seen it i don't remember too much of it i i saw it when it came out and mm-hmm. i remember having a similar reaction to you it was like a it, it was not a banger of a movie it was a real downer of a movie um oh, yeah. but but uh it's definitely a todd movie I tend to think that um, if we're going for perverse, violent Australian movies, I, I still think that Hounds of Love is the best one. But I remember being struck by just the ballsiness of that filmmaker. And uh, yeah, he, he went for it. So kudos. I, I should watch it again. All right. Moving on to mine, my number two. Uh, this is probably on my Oscar list my biggest oversight of the last year that i hadn't seen yet and it paid off as it's number two on this list and that is uh boys in the hood uh i thought this movie was just brilliant um and all the performances in it are awesome and uh i hadn't i can't believe i hadn't seen it yet i watched it back in february of of the of 2021 and uh yeah just blew me away at just the performances by by all these guys who we know now, but were young up and comers and no name people at the time. Uh, yeah, just awesome, awesome movie. So that's my number two. It's a great call, Terry. I want to share great one of my call. great movie. One of my Christmas presents this year. I was trying to find a natural way to bring it in, but I, I think this needs to be on your uh, on your list for next year, Terry. Menace to society. Oh yeah, Criterion. Mm-hmm. I love it. Boys in the Hood is great though too. I mean, they're they're to me, you know, they're they're both classics. The '90s uh, movies in the Hood were always uh, they're hard to replace, um, but uh, Boys in the Hood is is truly phenomenal. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, number two is a it was probably the biggest surprise for me of any movie this year. Um, it's a movie that I'd never heard of um, before, really watching it, um, and actually, I have Criterion to thank for it. Um, Criterion released this year uh, the first, uh, from what I can tell, Blu-ray edition of the great 1984 documentary Streetwise, which both Todd and I have on our top 100 lists. I was not aware that there was a sequel to Streetwise. There is. It is a film called uh, Tiny, The Life of Aaron Blackwell. And it is by the same director of Streetwise, Martin Bell. And he catches up with one of the uh, main uh, kind of street homeless kids from Streetwise um, 30 years later. And you, I, at first I was like, okay, uh, this feels like just a glorified, um, you know, extra on the Criterion package. Criterion was actually smart enough to like actually package the movies as Streetwise and Tiny. And they did it for a reason because Tiny is an amazing documentary. And what's amazing about it is that it is really different than Streetwise. Streetwise is this sort of, um, kaleidoscopic look at these kids on the street in Seattle. They're homeless. They're uh, some of them deal drugs. Some of them are prostitutes. Um, Tiny is a lot more of a of a uh, focus, laser focused film, just on one character. And uh, the uh, Tiny is now a woman in her early forties. She has uh, ten kids. She's not living a, a great life. But at least on the surface, but the the movie does this amazing job of kind of looking at this very interesting dynamic. Um, They're an interracial uh, family. 
they're a family that, um, you know, some of the kids don't uh, get along with each other. Some of them are facing drug problems of their own. There's abuse in the family. There's some dysfunction. Um, and it's just an amazing portrait of this, uh, of a woman, but also the, the, the life that she has, it's very sad. It doesn't, uh, condescend to her in any way. It doesn't patronize her in any way, but I think it's just an unflinching and really honest look at the lives of just a, a kind of a, an average in, in many ways. Um, but unfortunately it's an average, uh, family in, in 2016 America. So my hats off to the director of streetwise. It, that's, that to me is, it, it was an invitation for me to rewatch streetwise, which I did right before our top 100 list and reminded me what a great documentary that was. So, uh, I implore everybody, especially Todd to watch tiny to life of Aaron Blackwell, amazing documentary. One of the great finds that, uh, I was lucky enough to come across this year. And it has currently 172 votes on IMDb. <laughs> that always makes it better. Like when you find that, like that rare find, like that's part, that was part of the charm of I married a woman too, is nobody's seen this movie. And so it, it, it just makes it that much better. Cool. All right. Let's see here. Adam, number one. All right, so I do have to dive into my, one of my top 100 films of all time here, and this is also a Criterion one. Uh, this the year I've only before this year I only had like one or two Criterion movies, but this is one of the films I, I was like I, I want to go pick up, and that's David Leach's uh, David Lynch's The Elephant Man, 1980. Uh, we had a fun deep dive conversation about did there was there a best makeup Oscar during our top 100 movies of all time <laughs> recording. I, no one remembers that conversation, but we had it. Trust us. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is a great film from start to finish. I think it's in my uh, upper, like lower fifties, but it's in there. And I, I really love Anthony Hopkins here as this a surgeon. who's trying to help this uh, really def uh, deformed man here. And it's just a really good character study here. And I thought the, Everything from the makeup to the storytelling to the visuals here were fantastic. I know that this is probably the most easily accessible David Lynch film out there. So it may be a, I'm, I'm interested in journey more into his films this year as well. So, but I, I'm looking back at my year. I, I have to mention some other films that didn't appear in my top 100, even though I'm not mentioning like All About Eve on the waterfront and The Kid. But The Elephant Man was one that has definitely stuck with me, and I can definitely see moving up in my top 100 list, too. I, I thoroughly just enjoyed this film quite a bit, so it was definitely one of my favorite watches for the first time this year, so The Elephant Man. If you haven't seen it, if you're going to deep dive David Lynch, Inland Empire. That's all I have to say. Mm. That's all I have to say. Man, there we go. So there we go. Next year, hopefully it can be, be on my top five. Then. Zach and I saw that one together in theaters. And and someone that we saw it was it with, quite an experience. Yeah, someone that we saw it with as we were leaving, their response was, "What the hell was that?" And I think that's a perfect way to sum up Inland Empire. And so I think that you need to watch it. There we go. Yeah, I haven't seen Mulholland Drive yet. Eraserhead, Blue Belt. Wait, yeah, you haven't seen Mulholland Drive? No, that's Good. another one that I'm gonna be picking Brief, up this year dude. too. So I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Right, get this get the 4K Criterion, and then uh, you're good to go. There we All go. right, yeah, the Todd, number one. Uh, so my number one was kind of obvious when I thought about it, and that is Metallica, some kind of monster, which is the <laughs> nice. most intimate music documentary that I've ever seen. It's about a time when they're going through some turmoil. James is like in and out of therapy and rehab. They're worried about releasing the movie because they don't know what it will look like for their image. It's right when they were uh, uh, trying to get St. Anger made. And um, you really get 
at a glimpse of the trials and tribulations that a band at the top of the world is going to get fighting getting older replacing members of the band and it's a, just a phenomenal movie i'd say a, a top 10 documentary of all time and uh, it's something that is essential not just for metallica super fans like myself but like for anybody who likes music or the creative process or like just like human like drama in general it like this is a great great movie and I, I think I, I talked about it on the podcast previously, but yeah, Metallica Some Kind of Monster is clearly the best uh, non-2021 movie I saw this year. I dig music. I dig music. <laughs> yeah, damn you, Todd. I, it reminds me, I gotta see that. And it's very hard to find, I believe. My local video store, I can't believe there's still one of those here, has a copy. <laughs> I just, I need to remember to, to get it. But yes, I'm dying to see that movie. It should be. Especially in a year with so many great music documentaries, too. Feels like it's pretty essential viewing. Yeah. All right. All right. Number one on my list is also a movie that made my top 100. I, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's safe to say that the the uh, highlight of the podcast for this year was the the day we got to spend all together in one very small room and try which happens to be the room i'm currently in and and uh and reveal our top 100 lists uh that was it was so much fun and this is the one first time watch that made my top 100 uh that i watched in 2021 the only reason i watched it is because todd assigned it to me it's on golden pond um it it's just it's just brilliant it's a brilliant film it's brilliantly written the performances by henry fonda and um and Catherine Hepburn uh, are are just amazing and then you have you throw in Jane Fonda and uh and Dabney Coleman also uh, in somewhat smaller parts but really this is Henry Fonda's film and the fact that he was so close to death when he did this and was able to produce such a great performance like he did uh it's just brilliant it's a brilliant film um, it's the second Mark Rydell movie I've mentioned uh, this podcast because For the Boys was directed by Mark Rydell as well. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it's my number one first time watch of this year. It'll be the first. It'll be the number one of a lot of years, I imagine. It, it would have been. It would have been for sure. Yeah. So this movie didn't make my my list of of best first time watches this year, but I did watch a movie that was an Australian, basically an Australian on Golden Pond. It was made a few years later, and it's called Traveling North, and uh, it only has 333 votes on IMDb, but it's on Tubi. I would encourage you to check it out, Terry. It's really good. It's not quite as good as On Golden Pond, um, but it's about an elderly couple who uh, travels north because in Australia, they're in the southern hemisphere, so they want to go to the warmth in the north. But it's, a, it's, it's also really good uh, with a really great cantankerous old guy, which Henry Fonda plays better than maybe anybody else in the history of film. It's true. Cool. All right, Zach, number one. All right, my number one is also the only movie that I saw this year uh, that I added to my top uh, 100 list. I was fortunate enough to see it right before we did our top 100 list. And it now is my number 44 movie of all time, which is pretty crazy. And that is A Brighter Summer Day, directed by the late uh, Taiwanese filmmaker Edward Yang. 
And uh, I'd always wanted to see this movie, except I'd been intimidated by the running length. It's four hours long and it has like 70 speaking roles. And there were always these rumors that, you know, it's a really hard movie to get into because it has a complex story. It actually really isn't that hard. Uh, I was expecting something a lot more complex. It's really only about it has one main character in it. His name is Xiao Sir. And he's this teenager in 1959 in uh, Taiwan. And he uh, basically is part, is being um, seduced by these other these two gangs, and he can't decide which gang he wants to join. There's reasons why. Uh, there's one gang that he he's involved with because his girlfriend is a part of it. There's another one that is more loyal to his uh, ethnicity. Um, it also has this backdrop of American music. There's this young boy who sings uh, the the female parts of, of Elvis duets, and the song the title of the movie comes from the song uh, "Are You Lonesome Tonight." It's just spectacular in every way. I couldn't necessarily tell you all the details of the plot. It's one of those movies that you just need to devote a day in your life to and just completely get enraptured in. And it's just phenomenal. Edward Yang was a great filmmaker. Yi Yi and, and Taipei Story were also great. But I'm so glad I finally sat down and watched it. It was worth it. And uh, I love this movie. Awesome. Awesome. I knew that was going to be your number one. <laughs> yeah, well. Pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's on the list of movies I need to watch. Yeah, you watch that one. I'll watch Metallica. But well, we should all see the, you know, all four of these movies. Although, has anybody? None of us have seen all four of them, right? I clearly not. Because I think, think I'm the only one who's right, seen right. mine, and Todd's only seen Metallica. Yeah. Okay, well, we got I some... think everyone. Has everyone seen on Golden Pond? No. Oh, dude. Well, there we go. You got there some. Go. You got some catching up to do, Adam. And Mulholland Drive, dude, which I also yeah, saw for the first time with Terry and Todd. Interestingly enough. Oh yeah. Yeah, about that. I wish I could go back and watch that for the first time. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. What's yeah. the what does the betting market say for Adam's number one first time watch of 2022? Is it Mulholland Drive on Golden Pond? What are we thinking here uh, for, for the boys? I'm gonna say <laughs> The Godfather Part Two. Mm. Well, see, that's another one I need to watch too. Yeah, gosh, yeah, there's a, quite a bit. I I, I have a, I have a list. I have Omnibaba, which I just got from. Uh, uh, criterion, which I've been really looking forward to. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna, it's gonna be some fun ones this year. All right. Well, Adam, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to oh, just throw out there? Do I do I have honorable mentions? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, High Fidelity, Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, The Birds, Casino, Gun Crazy, I Married a Witch, Cube from '97, uh, um, El Mariachi from '93, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, All About Eve, On the Waterfront, Molly's Game. The Lookout from 2007, and also The Kid from 1921. Oh, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Which you can talk about a little bit more in a little bit. Yes. Cool. Todd, honorable mentions? Uh, so I have some that you guys assigned me, like, uh, or I guess Zach assigned me. France. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, Drunk. France from France by France? Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Turtles Can Fly and In the Family. All of our, all of our terrific movies. Uh, I also have The Last Seduction from 1994. One of Scorsese's favorite movies, The River from 1951. Uh, we came to the stable, Eight Million Ways to Die, and I'm so glad we did. That movie's <laughs> kicked ass. Uh, Songs My Brother Taught Me is also great. Adam's favorite movie of all time, Your Name. And Living in Oblivion was also one that I really, really enjoyed. All right. Uh, so my honorable mention, I've got two movies that I gave four stars to that did not. I, I had to leave off the list that were first-time watches. That's End of Watch and 12 O'Clock High. Both just outstanding movies Great that movie. are worth watching. But then the, the other part of my honorable mention I have is I have a bottom five first time watches that I wanted to mention here. 
uh, the worst first time watches I had of the year. Number five is W.E. The Madonna oh, the directed Madonna. movie. Yeah, yes. that was horrible. Um, number four is a 70s like murder mystery farce called Murder by Death. It's like the oh, star studded. It, yeah. I, I thought it was boring. Uh, number three, uh, Todd mentioned a Lawrence Kasdan movie that was in his top five. Mine's in my bottom five. It's Grand Canyon. It was just <laughs> lousy. Uh, number two, why was Roger Moore still playing Bond at 65? It's a view to a kill. Uh, it was horrible. And number one, it, it was the 2001 was the first year of animated feature being an Oscar category. Jimmy Neutron. And they were really looking. Yeah, they were really, really stretching when they look for Jimmy Neutron boy genius to be on that list. So yeah, I had to watch agreed. it and it was horrible. Yeah, so it was uh, waking life. Well, no, yeah, no. I would have been, I would have been better with Waking Life. Osmosis really Jones needed like that other nomination. Osmosis Come on, let's Jones. be honest. I love. That's Osmosis a great movie. Jones. That is a great movie. One of it Bill really Murray's is best performance. It really is. Maybe because it was only half animated, they didn't do it. I bet. I bet that's what it was. All right, Zach, do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, Lay Du Los, which I'm coming around on. <laughs> Good. Shop on Main Street, Sword of Doom, Wanda, Ali Fearits the Soul, Jean Dielman, 23, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Adoption, Mishima, Life in Four Chapters, The Coker Trilogy, The Grief of Others, Friends of Eddie Coyle, Angel at My Table, Beau Travai, and Man Push Cart. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. We're not guessing any lists because we're all here. And honestly, it would have been an insane list to try and guess. So moving on. Uh, to our trivia segment. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. I don't think we're actually going to have any trivia, but we have some stuff we need to report on because uh, it's been a while since we were all here. Um, Todd, I think you're the only one that didn't have something to watch, right? Oh, I did. Oh, you did. So we all have something we need to report on. So we all watch stuff, and so let's start with Zach. I think you're the only one that hasn't started something yet. So, Zach, tell us what you had to watch, if you finally remembered what it was, yes, and uh, and what you thought of it. I, I'm I'm really interested in this. <laughs> I had a really hard time remembering the name of the movie that Todd assigned me. I think I had to ask it three or four times. I definitely never heard of it. You asked it three or four times on the last podcast episode. Yeah, and he wasn't even here. <laughs> Well, the title of the movie is Calm with Horses. Now, what's interesting about this movie is that when I looked for Calm with Horses, because Todd assured me it was on Netflix, I could not find it anywhere. On Netflix, it goes by the title Shadow of Violence, which sounds like a Mel Gibson movie from the 2010s or something. I don't know. I think it's a horrible (laughs) title, very bland. I mean, Calm with Horses isn't great either. It kind of sounds like the sequel to Dances with Wolves, but I'll go with it. Uh, Calm with Horses is a total Todd movie. All Todd ever assigns me is Todd movies, but whatever. Uh, it is, uh, it's a movie, uh, it's, it's uh, set in Ireland. It is directed by Nick Rowland, and it stars Cosmo Jarvis as a guy named Arm. I think his actual first name is Douglas. Uh, but he is this kind of buff, 
almost like a Channing Tatum meets Tom Hardy character. He's definitely the arm of the local gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the enforcer. And at the beginning of the movie, he is kicking some ass with some guy that uh, did some inappropriate touching of this young girl. They have this, he's part of this extended mafia family that feels very much like an Australian, or excuse me, an Irish version of Animal uh, Kingdom. Um there's also this uh, kind of side plot where he's trying to not necessarily reconcile with his ex-wife, but he is trying to be a part of his son, young son's life. And his son has some sort of developmental disability. He's really, uh, he kind of spazzes and freaks out, except for when he's around horses, which are a source of therapy. Um, I like this movie. I think it, is, it, it, it worked. Uh, it's, uh, it kind of grows on you. I'm a little tired of the derivative um, tough guy with a heart of gold. And I didn't totally buy the climax of this movie. It kind of reaches a point where the two storylines kind of conveniently pair or uh, intersect with each other. Um, but uh, as I was going along, I, I, I dug the vibe of it. Um, and uh, Barry Keegan, friend of the podcast, is in it. He's, uh, I'm sure, Todd's MVP of the movie. Uh, he's, he's pretty good in it. I had to watch this movie with subtitles, but it was worth it. And uh, it's a total Todd movie. I can understand why he liked it. It's dark, kind of gruesome, has a morally sort of complex character at the center of the story. Um, he's a former boxer. There was definitely a little bit of like on the waterfront in this movie. I, I kind of felt it. Um, but I, I'm giving it three stars. I, I think it's it's a good movie. Not a great movie. Not the most terribly original movie. But I'm glad Todd recommended it. And I really hope they stick with Calm with Horses because that is a much better title than whatever crap uh, the American version came up with. Yeah, I don't think I would have ever come across it either if it wasn't nominated for like several BAFTAs last year with their new voting system. So, yeah. I'm glad I did, though. I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, Ned Dennehy and Barry Keegan both are, are great in that movie. I didn't to know re- that Barry Keegan was Irish. That kind of took me back. I don't surprise. think I did either. <laughs> All right. Good, good. Adam, you're next. You had two movies you had to watch and report on. So uh, tell I us about did. those. So let's start out with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. To yeah. a, a top five movie of all time for Terry. It came out in 1938. Nine, directed by Fink Capra and stars Mr. James Stewart. Uh, so this is a film uh, that has it's by a naive, idealistic Jefferson Smith, leader of the Boy Rangers, is a is appointed to the United States Senate by the puppet governor of his state. He soon discovers, upon going to Washington, many shortcomings of the political process and his earnest goal of a, a national national boys camp leads to a conflict with the Senate or the, for the state uh, political boss. So uh, this is totally, uh, obviously, Frank Capra, Jimmy Stewart, uh, teaming up again from It's a Wonderful Life. And we really love that movie on the podcast. We did an awesome conversation about it. And I really liked that one a lot. And I can this one gave me a lot of those vibes. I think Jimmy Stewart's just a fantastic in everything I've seen him in. And one of my favorite movies is Rear Window there, too. And I, I just really love his performance in this one as well. I think this... Uh, film gave everything kind of I wanted to get it also tells you a lot about the political system a lot too kind of uh, in a pretty straight away uh, way uh, I love his whole um, his whole what's what's the word called when he's just talking and talking um, what's that called filibuster, filibuster. yeah filibuster. The, the filibuster scene that was awesome and uh, I really like his big ending speech there too I thought that was some of the best performance I've seen from him and this is an easy four-star film I think I could definitely see this moving into my top 100 uh, I, 
because it's just I feel like it's just awesome and all around. So this is a, definitely a great choice. I'm really glad I was able to watch it. I wanted to put it in my top five of the previous power rankings, but of course we were talking about it right now. So uh, really awesome watch. So thank you so much, Terry, on that one. All right. Also, just uh, the, to mention, I think I think Jean Arthur in that is one of my like oh, all-time yeah. favorite supporting actress performances. She's amazing in that. Yeah, she is really good in it too. Really, yeah, she was probably almost even better than he uh, he he was in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, so my other watch, uh, one of our favorite films of the year, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. There we go. Uh, so. This what was this movie to be honest with you? This is uh, you know written uh, Kristen Wiig and what's her name? Um, Annie Mumolo. Yeah, Mumolo. Star as Barb and Star, and they go to Vista Del Mar, and there's a lot of uh, fun hijinks that ensues here. There's a there's a kind of a, a spy thriller uh, subplot here with Jamie Dornan, Damien Wayans, and also a, a, a very pale Kristen Wiig. We have a bunch of other SNL lumps appear here. Uh, you know what? Just to piss off Todd, this is a three and a half star movie. I'm, I'm gonna go just to. <laughs> this I mean, movie, if that's the uh... kind of shit you like to watch, then okay. <laughs> All right, but th- no, this actually, I had, I was laughing. This is considerably better than Bridesmaids, and I, uh, it's some dumb fun that I was thoroughly entertained, entertained by. It's not necessarily, it's bottom three and a half star film for me, but I, I enjoyed it and I could definitely see myself watching it. I really liked watching it on Hulu, which is another uh, awesome thing about streaming services at times. Uh, but definitely, uh, Kristen, uh, Kristen, well, I would say Bell, Kristen Wig and Animal will have great chemistry back and forth. But Jamie, uh, Jamie Dornan definitely steals the show, especially with his song and dance numbers here as well. So, uh, yeah. And, and Morgan Freeman as a crab. And he escaped prison, and he played God, and yeah, all that fun stuff. So there we go. Don't forget Trish. And oh yeah, Trish. Trish. Women. MVP of the movie. Trish. Yeah, Yeah, Trish. I love the whole. Yeah, her whole. Her whole. uh, The story of Trish. That was went on really long, but I I was totally on board for it. So it was Uh, good. Sorry, Todd. Movie so ridiculous, but so amazing at the same time. Yeah. All right. Todd, what did you have to watch? Uh, I had to watch the first two episodes of a TV show that Zach loves called Made. Oh, which is, right. Uh, the creator is Molly Smith Metzler, who worked on Shameless and uh, Orange is the New Black. And it stars Margaret Qualley. She plays this girl named Alex, who is emotionally abused. Uh, and she leaves her husband, played by Nick Robinson. Uh, and she leaves with her daughter. And uh, she has a lot of issues going through the endless hoops of, like, trying to get shelter and a job and any sort of help. And she ends up getting a job as a maid for a rich lady who, which pays basically nothing, but it's enough to secure something in order to prove that she's should be able to keep her daughter when the uh, inevitable legal battle is going to show up before her daughter feels a little bit like precious in a way, or like a light Wendy and Lucy. Um, the show so far feels kind of pandering, uh, naive and judgmental which is sort of off-putting like quality is amazing though she's a future star but like this is like the vibe of those like dime a dozen 2000s movies that should have started like ashley judd or something like i can't imagine where it goes after two episodes but it could have been like a 95 minute movie that came out like 20 years ago it, it uses like old cliche like dream schizo sequences like the girl next door does or final destination where it's like you see something and then you come crashing back to reality because it's just like a daydream so like really outdated stuff there's no real style. It definitely feels like a Netflix 
TV show. But uh, you keep watching, not just because you have to for this podcast, which I guess I did, but uh, it's kind of watchable. Like it's similar to the other Nick Robinson show I watched recently, A Teacher, which uh, wasn't original necessarily, but it was compelling because the actors are doing their thing and it's just as like exploitation watchable kind of thing, but it's kind of shallow, but it's easy to follow because uh, the, the characters aren't very complicated. The um, Orange is the New Black is definitely an inspiration for the show. And right down to like the colorful supporting characters and uh, ridiculous side stories. Uh, we'll see if I have time to keep watching it, but I don't I don't know. Or if I'll even remember it in a few days. I don't really rate TV shows, but if I did, this would be like a two and a half star movie. But I I don't know. I don't know why Zach loves it so much. Man, uh, you missed you missed the I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you had some nice things to say about it. I I think the show is riveting from start to finish. I watched I actually watched the first episode immediately after I watched it the first time. I th I think it's a brilliant show that is so sad and I think the characters are extremely complex, but maybe after the first two episodes you don't see that. I implore you to keep watching it. I think it's a phenomenal show and uh uh, I'm, I'm disappointed you you didn't love it, but uh, maybe you just have to give it more time. Okay. All right. And now to me, what I had to watch, Todd assigned me. Uh, he uh, had me pop my Leica bubble, and I had to watch Kubo and the Two Strings. Good um, call. Yeah. And, and now he can no longer make fun of me that I hadn't seen a Leica movie, even though I live in the city that Leica is based. Um, Kubo and the Two Strings, it's this really cool, like, it feels like mythology telling some ancient legend, uh, but it's an original story, which is awesome, too, uh, about this kid and his um, his fight to, to save um, everything that means something to him and his family, even if they might all be gone, uh, and he's helped by this monkey voiced by Charlie Saren and this beetle voiced by Matthew McConaughey. Um, it is, it is so inventive, so imaginative. Um, the visuals are just incredible. And then you see like some of the behind the scenes, how they did it all, which is, which is just super cool. I immediately looked up. Can you go on a tour of the studio? And the answer is no, they don't let any visitors in, which sucks. Um, but, um, it, it's, it's brilliant. Three and a half star movie, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of what Leica has has out there. I know they got like Coraline and Paranorman and uh, let's see. Missing here. Link. Missing Link, Box Trolls. Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that, that they put out there. So, um, yeah. yeah, Kubo was awesome. It's a really great movie. Yeah, yeah it's got like a big Crouching Tiger-esque epic story. And I, yeah, that's, that's what I love yeah. about it. That's, yeah. a, that's, a good, that's a good call. Yeah, it... it one of the more original stories that an animated movie has has come up with in a long time. Yeah. I should have mentioned that I watched Coraline for the first time this year too. So that's uh, another good oh, one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's reporting on the stuff that we had to watch. Uh, we don't have any trivia this week. We're just going to uh, skip that, but we did our trivia reviews. So now let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. And let's start with Adam. Okay. Because uh, we lost a legend. We lost Betty White this last week. Uh, 
So I, I watched, I, in honor of Betty White, I watched uh, The Proposal with Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. So in honor of her, I, this is two quotes actually, but uh, to the window, to the wall, to the sweat drips off my balls. That scene is a classic little uh, scene with her and Sandra Bullock dancing to it. Anyway, you can cut that one out probably. Uh, but my other, uh, <laughs> I wanted to give a quote. She was actually, uh, in 2009, she was uh, receiving the SAG Award for Lifetime Achievement Award. And she said, I'm still to this day starstruck. I look out at the audience and see to my too many or so many famous faces. But what really boggles my mind is that I actually know many of you and I've worked with quite a few of you and maybe had a couple of you. You know who you are. And uh, George Clooney later on in that evening said in 1987, I did an episode of the Golden Girls and I would like to thank Betty White for her uh, discretion. So, yeah, Betty White discretion yeah that's what i meant damn it <laughs> anyway betty white you'll be missed so r.i.p very nice very nice uh todd uh so i have a couple quotes from jonah hill and don't look up um uh, <laughs> one of them is uh when he's uh saying why he uh, doesn't want the asteroid to hit the earth or something he says there's dope stuff like material stuff like sick apartments and watches and cars and um clothes and shit you know, that could all go away. And I want to see that stuff go away. So I'm going to say a prayer for that stuff. Amen. And also, I want to... I almost quote quoted that, by the way. I almost had that. The last line in the movie, which is, What up, y'all? I'm the last man on Earth. Shit's all f***ed up. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We out here. And I think we can all relate on this podcast. Yeah. Thanks for dressing up. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. I'll go next. Uh, my quote is from one of my favorite first time watches of the year. And that was Elling. And uh, this is a quote from the main character of that. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like that this kind of sums up like pandemic life. Um, and, uh, and he says, had I really made a friend without any help from the Norwegian government? And, and I was like, yeah, it's hard to make friends in pandemic life. So uh, yeah. I thought that was, that was kind of poignant, but yeah, there we go. Watch the movie. I, I'm, I'm sad that I'm the only one that's seen this one. Anyways, Zach wrap us up. So in the, in to honor in the spirit of Adam's tribute to a great legend that we lost this week in Betty White, I, I'm going to quote Frank Caliendo's impression of John Madden. Yes. And he once said as John Madden that I think the Super Bowl champion will probably be the winner of the AFC title game and the winner of the NFC title game. And that is the game in which decides the winner. And only one team leaves the Super Bowl as the winner. Yeah. Boom. I like how you didn't even, you didn't even yeah, yeah. attempt the, an impression, which I think is probably better. It's for the best. I was originally going to do a, a quote from the Jackass trailer, but we'll do that next time. There we go. There we go. Tough acting to acting. <laughs> there. Yes. Yes. We should have just quoted that commercial. Those mini commercials or, or Ace Hardware. Anyways, RIP to John Madden, and Betty White. Uh, and with that, we'd bring this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with a deep dive. And in two weeks with our top tens of 2021 until then. Have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.